Merkel Media. This was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. I saw three long bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. When he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me. And this giant comes out of the cave, and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. But the giant moves. He's got a spear in one hand, and he's running really fast. And spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody else, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge and I blowed his head off. I feel something pulling at my leg. And I look over and there are two small gray entities pulling at me. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I reached my hand into this bush and I touch air. Couldn't breathe and I couldn't move because I know I'm seeing a monster. Yeah. Welcome to the show, everybody. You're listening to The Confessionals. I'm your host, Tony Merkel. Thanks for being here. If you have a crazy, wild experience you want to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionals at theconfessionalspodcast.com. That's theconfessionals at theconfessionalspodcast.com. Or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the contact section and you can reach me that way as well. Either way works for me, just get a hold of me. If you want to hear more shows on a weekly basis, go to theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the join button and become a member. As a member, you get access to member shows every Thursday. The Tuesday shows ad-free, access to the overtime episodes. All that awaits for you right there as a member. So go ahead and check that out if that is something you're interested in. And last but not least, friends, go ahead and check out preparewiththeconfessionals.com. That's preparewiththeconfessionals.com. Get yourself emergency supply of food. Lasted 25 years on the shelf. I've been talking about it for a long time. And, you know, just look at the news around you and stuff. It's no longer a thing where you're a weirdo for preparing for emergencies. So just go ahead and do it, whether it's through preparewiththeconfessionals.com or your local grocery store with lots of rice and beans. Either way works, just make sure you and your family are good to go. And that is the PSA from the confessional. So today we got a great, interesting conversation of two in-studio guests. We have Cryptids of the Corn in studio here today, and they're going to be sharing a lot of weird stories that they've had personally gone through. And I just want to say that these guys are here because we're about to, after this recording, go into a very deep recording that has... Uh, a lot of tentacles that Joel from Van Tesla has been throwing our way. The reason why everybody is here this weekend, because it's just not them. It's Joel. And there's another podcaster. We'll say that for uh, a surprise later in a coming episode, maybe. But um, who am I kidding? It's going to be Eric from uh, Uncomfortable <laughs> Podcast. Uh, all the guys are here because we've all had experiences with Joel from Van Tesla and his uh, theory that he shares on podcasts. And every time he goes on somebody's, somebody's podcast to share this theory, things go berserk. Technology fails. And we're going to talk about all that stuff on the other show. And we're going to go in deep on it. So 
But before we get to that recording, I wanted to sit down with you guys and have you guys talk about some of these experiences you've had and share with the audience and let the audience know who you are. So uh, per tradition, when I bring people on the podcast, I let them share who you are, where you're from, where people can find you. And so, uh, Jay, if you want, go ahead and take that those reins. Who are you? What is Cryptids of the Corn? Well, we are a podcast that covers anything from Sasquatch to all other sort of cryptids, or, and then we dive into some paranormal. We get into personal experiences we have that people have they want to share with us. Uh, but most of all, it's a lot of uh, Justin here, my partner in crime, I'd say. Yeah. And his wealth of knowledge of information about these sort of subjects and his own personal experiences. And then I come from a whole different angle of where I don't have much experience in this stuff at all. But it's it's his interest and knowledge that just drives my brain crazy. And I get to thinking because I'm a, I think I'm a logical kind of thinker kind of guy. And I really like digging into this stuff. And he piques my interest. You and me are not going to fit in very well with each other. Logical thinking is... It escapes me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, and, and then logical thinking doesn't have to be any, like, doesn't have to be straightforward. Yeah. It can be paranormal. Like, I'm, it can be different. I'm a sucker for the fantastical. Like, I love fantastic stories. I love stories. That's why we have the show, because mm-hmm. I just really enjoy a good freaking story. You mm-hmm. know, I just, people, people are like, yeah, I don't know. Like, listen, that was a freaking, freaking awesome story, you know? And that's the thing with the way I, the way I built the show. It's just like, I'm not telling people what to believe. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, hey, this person experienced something. I talked to them. I really believe they had this experience. It's up to you, though, to decide what you want to personally believe. I just love stories. Mm-hmm. So, like, the confessionals, it's like story time, you know? I love it. Um, with you guys, it seems like you guys, uh, well, Jay, you just described Justin here. And just over the last, since last night, sitting down with you guys, uh, Justin, you seem like you're a very, um, and, and, and this is weird because I would feel weird if somebody said this to me. You know, like people say weird things to me. Like, I'm like, ah, you know, don't say that, you know, but I'm just going to say it for you. Uh, you strike me as somebody that has a very high IQ. You, and, and you said earlier that you have uh, two, I think you said two learning disabilities. Yes. And I, and I, I was, I was actually irritated with you because I feel like I have learning disabilities and I don't feel like I'm as smart as you. And I'm just like, freak, man, how'd you do that? You know, how'd you get so smart? <laughs> you know, uh, you traded out for not being able to spell. I got you. I got you. Well, I still can't spell. So, <laughs> but um, no. So, uh, how did Cryptids of the Corn come together? Ooh, that's a, so. I was at work. I work at a bowling alley, bartending, and Justin's a frequent customer every week. <laughs> we like the drink, and uh, so he shows up one day and he just calls me over. He's like, "Do you believe in Bigfoot?" And I'm like, well, "Yeah, I believe in Bigfoot." He, he's probably like the third person that night has gotten this. Yeah. So he, he drags me over there, and I'm all into this. Like, yeah, like let's talk about it. So he starts sharing stuff, and we form this group together where we have a a Hardin County uh, Bigfoot Society where we he wanted to develop a thing where we can go out on excursions and take people out on excursions and try to have an experience with them. And I was all on board for that. And then he also had the idea, well, let's talk about it too. Let's start a podcast. If you can't tell Justin's, well, you soon find out Justin's a talker. Yeah. He's a very good talker. So I'm all in and I'm a, I like, I think I'm a very good listener. Uh-huh. So it, it's a good dynamic that way. Yeah. So that's how it naturally just started. So we did, we went down, did our first ever excursion down in Hawking Hills. And then we scared a possum. Yep, we scared a possum. <laughs> and then we we had one microphone and one recording <laughs> device, and there was three of us at the time. But you did it in the woods? Oh no, after uh, buddy's house. Oh, I was going to say, hold on a second. After the fact, so we went on our little excursion. We just kind of walked through the woods and just looked at stuff, you know, just first timers, you know. For a second there, I thought I, I almost had a heart a podcaster heart attack. I was like, 
don't tell me your first episode was you out in nature. Like that is like an audio nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, holy crap. It still is an audio nightmare. <laughs> yes. It yeah. was a $50 Amazon set. Oh, well that does. That, well, we could go into that. That the, the, the quality of equipment everybody has their, their own mm. starting line. I didn't start with these SM7Bs. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I started with a microphone. It was an M Audio Nova that I had from college that was sitting collecting dust in the basement. That's what I used. You know what I mean? When I first started. Um, but uh, I, I did have a guy when I first started podcasting, I called him for the interview and I hear this, the, like these trucks going, zoom, zoom. I'm like, no, 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 what? That wasn't it. That wasn't actually, it started out with crunch, crunch, crunch. I'm like, what are you, like, are, are you walking on chips or something? He's like, no, I'm walking through the forest. I thought I'd, I'd be out in nature <laughs> to tell you this story. So it creates this, this environment. I was like, no, no. man, like we, we, like I need it quiet. Like I need so people can hear you. And say, so, oh, let me find a quiet spot. So he calls me back. And he's sitting at a ga outside a gas station on the side of the road, and you hear vehicles going, room, room. and I'm just like, "Oh dear Lord, go back, <laughs> go back to the woods." Yeah, and then, and then he, uh, I think he, this is the same guy that told me a story. It was the first time in my podcasting that uh, he he told me a story that I was just like, "I don't believe you." Mm -hmm. Like I, I don't, and, and like. I'm somebody who believes the world's really crazy, really bizarre, and I don't personally understand how crazy it is. Therefore, I'm not the arbiter of truth. Mm -hmm. But he was the first person I was like, oh, you just lied to me. Mm -hmm. Like, I literally, you said things that contradict other things to the point that one of those two things is not true. And, uh, and then I, I didn't know how to cut it off, though. And so I just let right. him do his thing. I just never aired it. You, you just, know? Gotta, so <laughs> just gotta let it go. Good decision. <laughs> it's very uncomfortable, though. I was just like, Huh, you know, but back then I had time to waste. Now, if somebody, if I caught somebody lying to me, I'd be like, okay, hey, it was really good talking to you. You got to go, though. Day. I don't got time to waste hearing, you know, something that I know is a lie, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but anyways, sorry, that took me off off course here. We do that all the time. You, 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 We're a tangent. So you're saying you didn't record in the woods. Great. Where yeah. you're at Hawking Hills, go. At his buddy's <laughs> house. So we were sitting all over this one <laughs> microphone. All three of us huddled over one, recorded our first episode. And then just like you were saying with the cars going by, I think our first probably 20 episodes. We had to do it in my apartment living room. And you know, right on Main, on Main Street. Street of our town. Gotcha. So every now and then you'd hear. <laughs> engine brakes. Oh, yeah. All oh, my gosh. Yeah. So that's how we started. And it's just slowly we've paid attention to like little things like that. Just gotten better, better. And we met so many people throughout this process that have stories to share that people you know your whole life almost that never that share this stuff. That has been the coolest part. Yeah. And just people open up to you and, you know, you kind of become a, what, like a, a comfort kind of vessel for people to just to open up with mm -hmm. their experiences. And it's a great feeling, I think, for both of us. Mm -hmm. I mean, people I've known all our lives that I had a Bigfoot encounter, they had a Bigfoot encounter. Mm -hmm. We never knew about each other. And then they, you know, through this, they come and share their stories with us and stuff like that. So it's amazing because we'd never, they die, those stories would die with those people. Yeah. And it's our locals, you know, it's just, mm -hmm. that's yeah. probably the best part of anything we've done. So you're, you're getting ingrained into the local community with the weird? Is yeah. that what you're saying? Oh gosh, yes. That's cool. Oh yeah, they're coming out. So, I work at a hospital now and I'm the Bigfoot guy in the hospital. Uh -huh. So people will come all the way down from all over the hospital. They're like, what do you think of this picture? <laughs> so when I started, I was in the Philly area. So this stuff, not on anybody's radar. Mm -hmm. And so I was like just alone, you know, very lonely. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I've seen people like you, uh, the Hollow Sky podcast guys, they're, they're, they had this happen where like the local community starts 
recognizing you. And that's just got to be cool. Like, like I've never had that experience, but like being a podcaster, especially in the beginning, like you're looking, you're, like you're motivated because you want to do something and you're having fun, but there's got to be like another level of motivation that comes up when all of a sudden you feel like you, like you're becoming somebody within your community that, mm-hmm. that, that's a topic that isn't being tapped yet. Like, it's not like, you know, oh yeah, I'm the local, uh, orthodontist, you know, it's just like, no, I'm the local podcaster that people recognize me for talking about weird things. And they come to me like, Hey, like mm-hmm. I hear you talk about this and I need to tell you something. Mm-hmm. So our first cover art that we ever did is a Harry and Harry in the cornfield as our Bigfoot. That was told to us by a guy that does not believe in Bigfoot. Really? So this is a local farmer to our area. He's a really big, a really big guy in our community. He comes up and He's like, you believe in all that Bigfoot crap? And I'm like, well, you know, I'm like, yeah, you know, we, we, I do. And he's like, that's not real. And then I'm like, oh, okay, you know, I don't ever argue. It's everybody's opinions. I wouldn't believe if I didn't have my own experience. Yeah. And he's like, but I did see something weird once. So they were harvesting corn at night, late season. So they run the combines all night. They have the lights on. He's like, and it, we are in a college town, so it's not weird. College kids like to go out in the cornfield to, do college kid things. What's that? <laughs> I'm kidding. All kinds Don't, of fun. No need to go into it. There's probably kids listening. Uh, so he's not. It's it, he's used to people getting up and running out of the field and stuff like that. It's not as weird as they seem. Uh, he's like, but this year, this guy stood up and took off, and he could see his shoulders and his head above the corn running through the field. He's like, the corn that year was seven foot tall. So. He, and I'm like, you don't think that was a Bigfoot at all? He's like, no, no, no. I'm like, so I guess it was Shaq or somebody out there. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, corn gets tall. Like, so I, I think people who maybe, uh, maybe don't grow up in rural areas or they just don't stop. Mm-hmm. Like you, you're seeing it from the car and you're like, oh, there's corn. That stuff is like tall, tall, tall. So on a seven bad feet. year, a bad year, seven feet. Yeah. A good year. You know, we've had 10 feet corn in our area, mm-hmm. 10 foot tall corn. So what was his thought behind it oh it was done he walked away i think he what was, do you mean it was done he walked away he, he was done talking about it he just wanted to share he wanted experience. to blurt it to somebody oh that's like okay i gotcha so he he just needed to come out of the closet i think with he it. wanted to tell one person yeah. that would not think he was crazy yeah and he was just done with it yeah yeah when you come from a really we're from a really small community mm-hmm. and you know when you come from that you don't want to be known as like that crazy person. Yeah, but you still crazy need, things. Still need to get it off the chest. Oh, absolutely. Wow, that's interesting. So uh, you guys getting ingrained in the community with all this stuff, um, like you said you're from a small community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like how small are we talking about? It is 5,000 people. Okay. That's when college is in session. When right? college is in session and without college, it's about What town is this? Ada, Ohio. Ada, Ohio. Is, what is that? Ada Community College or something like that? No, it's uh, it's Ohio Northern University. It's Ivy League. Okay, gotcha. It's gotcha. a big, it's a really big college. Gotcha. And so, we're the little thing attached to it. Yep, I gotcha. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I reigned from uh, a part, big chunk of my childhood was Kutztown, Pennsylvania, which there's Kutztown University. When the school is in session, there's a lot of people in town. When there's not, there's like 3,000, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I totally get it. Now, with that though, with that, that picture in my head now with, you know, 5,000 people, it's not, a lot, it's not a big town. Um, what what's the ratio here as far as like people that are re- maybe recognizing you? Is this something that's becoming very frequent as far as th- maybe not even recognizing, but just like, hey, I heard you guys were from this area. I got a story for you. Like, is this becoming something where it's like uh, almost you could do 
several episodes a year from your area. Cause like, Oh yeah. Cause okay. Cause like I, I coming from where I came from Pennsylvania, I mean, I'd be lucky if I had one person a mm-hmm. year reach out to me within the Philadelphia area mm-hmm. with experiences. I, I just assume nobody ever listened to my show in the Philly area. No, we definitely, it happens to me a lot at the hospital and stuff, which is the town next to us. But yeah, we could definitely do, we have done several episodes on just from literally eight Ohio. Mm-hmm. People wow. from eight Ohio have come up and talk. And I work at a bowling alley, like I said earlier, bartending. People just will come up, sit at oh, the bar gosh, and talk yeah, to me about well. the bowling oh, alley. Yeah. They just ask me questions and stuff. And I'm, it's fun, but it's really fun. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, like you're already part of the community as the bartender and stuff. Like that's your job. Your job is to pour drinks, hold conversation, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's kind of cool. That's cool. So, all right. So that's kind of like how the show comes together. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably said this, but I don't remember. So I'm going to ask you, uh, ha- how'd you two meet again? So we've just always kind of known each other. Our, our our gra- sh- it was at the, bo- it was at the bowling alley, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 We're around this. We're near the same age, but and our grandpas are really good friends and stuff like gotcha. that. So it just, okay. which was a weird coincidence. Yeah. Gotcha. So, uh, you guys decided to start the podcast mm-hmm. and you start going, uh, and you're having the podcast. It's growing. It's doing its thing. Uh, but coming to the table of the podcast game, Justin had a lot of different bizarre things. Oh yeah. He had the goods. Yeah. He had definitely from what I'm hearing has the goods. (laughs) Um, so what I want to do and this first story I'm going to open up with, I, I'm just going to kind of lay out words. You know where I want to go with it and you just go. Okay. Okay. And we have a conversation to see what happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chicago. Tell me about Jimmy Woo. Okay. So I, w- so I was a fishery biologist. I did fishery surveys and stuff like that. Basically, we use fish data to check water quality. It's cheaper than doing chemical tests. So to, to even see if an area needs chemical testing, they'd have us go in first and make sure that there was a problem, even pay the extra money to go through. We were a third-man company, or third man, like a third-man party. So we were paid by both people. So it really didn't matter what the results came out to us because uh, so somebody's going to be on the wrong end of a lawsuit most of the time. So Jimmy Wu is a friend because we all signed NDAs for certain stuff. So he did stuff on the Chicago airport, you know, the, inter- the international airport. There's tons of waterways that run through there and they're crystal clear. Not a lot of fish in them. So as he was going up the stream, up the river in the airports, they were seeing these giant, well, they were seeing these culverts, these capped culverts that were in, entering the river inside the Chicago airport stream. All right. So pause for a second. Yeah. Capped culverts entering the river. So basically anything from like the smallest one they seen was a foot and the biggest one is probably eight to 10 feet. You were talking like, like a tube? Yeah. A concrete tube. And they would come in a couple feet into the bottom of the river. So it was like... Either a project wasn't finished or something down there needed access to a lot of fresh water very fast. But Mm. the variety of, I've been all over, he's been all over, the variety of sizes of pipe like that don't, they don't, it doesn't happen in that kind of stacking. Like normally a culvert, uh, that line of work is you check culverts a lot. None of those culverts were on his map, uh, which was weird right there. And they, didn't seem to be doing anything. They weren't open. They were, you know, completely capped off like they could be opened. And there was a ton of them going the whole length through under all the airfields. 
going you know towards the airport you know under all the runways and stuff like that and this is chicago airport yes and as far as jimmy told me that's you know but it's just it's like for that much space to be missing under the runways because they go you know the culverts have to go a distance it wouldn't make sense just to them to you know go 10 feet into the bank and not go anywhere because some of these like i said he's seen some of these culverts that were 10 feet wide you know me and you could hold hands and stretch out and probably not touch the sides of these things and they're in the bottom. So they were placed there before the airport was built, I imagine. Uh, he, we, you know, he didn't know, I don't know. But they are massive and they are everywhere. And they're almost like in a giant grid pattern. So it's like, there's a lot of space. How many would you say he thought there was? Over 40 of the big ones. And and how how like confined of a space are we talking uh, about? So I think he did probably about a little over half a mile of river and they would kind of take turns going on each side of the river and then there would be the little ones intermediate. The little ones he said didn't seem to have any rhyme or reason a lot of the time but the big ones are pretty much there'd be a big one here on the right hand side and then you know 20 feet there'd be another one on the left hand side Mm -hmm. and like that. But they stretch out in every direction uh, going towards you know even like to where you, I can't think of the name right now, like where you go to actually get on the plane and stuff like that. The terminals, the terminals. Uh, it's very peculiar. Now, something I experienced with that same airport was on the outside of the fence. So they have signal jammers. So the big part of our job is with GPS. Like we use GPS coordinates that are very, very small because for our surveys to be accurate over years of periods, we need to do the exact same spot each time. So if you're not doing the exact same spot, let's say if you go 20 feet downstream, that's completely different habitat. So you're going to get a different score for that rover. So that's not, that's not good data. So we use these GPS signals. These signal jammers would, first off, your cell phones were done. Uh, but it would mess with our GPS. And they shouldn't be able to do that. Or they, they, normally they wouldn't be able. And they ex- expected us and Jimmy and everybody to do their job accurately with out the technology we use to do our job. So a lot of the stuff in the airport was guesswork that they did. But so with with what you just said, what are your assumptions and conclusions as to this whole story he told you? Uh and maybe no, before you actually say that, uh why hasn't anybody else been talking about this? Is it is it a secluded area? Because when you say Chicago, I, I think you automatically think like people are crawling everywhere. Uh, so the Chicago airport's on the northern end, uh, well, roughly. It's but the area around it is very high end housing. Uh, this is not when you think of like downtown Chicago and there's hundreds of thousands of people or yeah. like Juliet or something. Uh, this is you know a very high end area. You know, half million dollar homes, stuff like that, all around. Roseville's the town right next to it, and their water towers in the shape of a giant rose. Wow. So got fancy on that one. Yeah, they <laughs> the area has a lot of money, so extra cachet. Yeah, and you, the airport is an international airport, so it obviously has tons of security. And the only reason he could see that stuff is because they were doing a water survey, and they were literally standing in a boat over top of an area, and they were probably the only people to ever stand in that river section in a boat on top of them, looking straight down. Oh, okay. Now I think I'm picturing this better. 
So this was like this was seen in the water. Yeah, they're on the bottom so, of the river. I got you. Okay, so now because I, so when Christian is being a live producer here in the studio, so everybody listening right now, Christian, yell hi. There we go. So I don't know if that got picked up because I got the uh, noise gates pretty strong on these mics. But um, when Christian and I and Joel, who's in the next room, we all went to Kentucky. Uh, we were walking through the woods and we found these giant metal tubes going down into the ground, right? And at first from at first glance, we're looking at it, we're like, holy crap, what is this here for? And at, so when you were talking about this stuff, that's what I'm thinking. Like I'm thinking- okay. I'm thinking when you said going into the river, I'm like thinking going from the bank into the river. So you're saying- They're on the bottom of the river going (laughs) into the ground. (sighs) The only way you could see these things is they were standing in a boat in the river looking down. Wow. So he was probably one of three people that have ever had that experience because they don't let them do those surveys very often Mm. because it's it's an airport. There's a lot of security anyways. To even get into that site for them was very difficult and they made it they made it a big pain hoping most of the places that they would do and we would do surveys in they didn't want us there they'd make it as big a pain as possible yeah so with you know it keeps canceling and stuff like that so eventually most of the environmental agencies will just forget about it Mm -hmm. this one uh they couldn't let go because of certain reasons wow okay all right so let's go to the the why the what and why there's that's a very wealthy area uh, so once again, this is Jimmy's story, but I think there's a lot of empty space. There's a lot of space under the airport that is unaccounted for. Under the airport? Yeah. Are that's we where these, like, these culverts were going was under okay. the airport, the, from the river mm-hmm. into the airport. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm tracking. So you have a lot of empty space under the Chicago airport that is unaccounted for. No planning maps. So Jimmy had the entire sewer system map. That's what, for their work, they needed that. None of this is there. <sighs> oh, we know what this is. You know what this is. Yeah, you I, say it, I'm thinking it. So it's just like Denver, you know, it's the underground bunk. It's the underground base. It's just, it's, it's massive. All right. So I'm not thinking that. What are you thinking? I'm thinking it's a bunch of rich people with bunkers. Yeah. Like, so yeah. Okay. I, like, I'm not, I like, I'm maybe. For emergencies. I, I was, for I was, airport. I wasn't thinking about more governmental. Cause like here, so here's the thing. Uh, I got a, a friend of mine who used to, I believe he was, he ran SWAT. And at one point he had to escort somebody to the underground tunnel system mm-hmm. in the Denver air, a, airport. And he was met by military police that took the person he was escorting so further down. Everybody that lives around there is extremely wealthy. What, Chicago or Denver? No, the area around the Chicago airport. Gotcha. They, every survey I personally did in the area around they treated us like garbage. They hated us because we were there checking the water quality. I, when I did all the work in Chicago, I worked in Chicago pretty much four years in a row. All the rich people hated us for trying to check on water quality and all the poor people loved us because they thought it was awesome. Somebody cared about them. About them. <laughs> yeah, for once. <laughs> you know, so it was like when we went to the poor neighborhoods and you know, Chicago is rough. No, I never heard that. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going with all this, like we look like Ghostbusters. I'll show you a picture after this or give you a picture to uh-huh. post. Because you look like Ghostbusters, we're the waiters and we have this thing that you don't understand what it is. And they were always, they'd watch us. They were all so excited, the poorer areas. And the rich people treated us like garbage. But this area of Chicago is the rich of the rich. So I think it's a bug out spot. 
in case stuff goes down. They got plenty of room and very clean, fresh water to pull from. Yeah. It's a constant flowing source above the city. So if something happens in the city, you're not, your water source isn't running through all of that. Ah, uh, so the water source, so it, the water source would be uh, away from any kind of maybe nuclear type. Or just any, like even burn pollution and stuff like that. Okay. Contaminants. Yeah, any kind like of tata- contaminants. It's, it's above most of that. Mm-hmm. So your water system will need less purification. Gotcha. I mean, it'd be like, so you're not drinking out of the sanitary shipping canal, which is so, not sanitary. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, as a bi- biologist, right? Yeah. Okay. So as a biologist, um, maybe you could answer this uh, and maybe not. I don't know. Uh, so let's just say a- as a biologist, when it comes to the th- this whole underground base thing. So let's just say Jimmy saw these... Uh, Whatever they were under mm-hmm. the water, right? Big and, tubes, and, and, and big tubes, and and we're 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 saying that it, there's underground um, facilities there for the rich and powerful type people, right? We got the source of water, but what about food? So, as a biologist, do you have any ideas on how easy or hard it would be to kind of grow a massive amount of food underground? So. My other degree was in agricultural technology. Perfect. I didn't even know that. It's like, yeah. it's like I gave you a layup. Yeah. Uh, no, it wouldn't be hard, especially with fresh water would be your biggest thing, especially, let's say, apocalyptic stuff. You know, fresh water is the thing you need the most to mm-hmm. make anything happen. It's also really cold. It's some of the coldest water in Chicago is running through there. So it'd be really easy to have a small power plant under there too, because mm. you need cool water to keep it cool. But it does warm up downstream. And that's kind of one thing that they were talking about and stuff that it's odd that it was cool there and warmer than we'd expect to see further downstream. So the warmth There's meaning... That normally, like when I would personally work around power plants and stuff like that, that's what you see. Because it sucks in the cool water from the river, warms it up because it's cooling itself and spits it back out. So you think that that warm water is being spit out from something? It could be. It could vary. One of those culverts that he's seen could have an intake that you really can't see. Mm. And it could be sucking in and pushing out on a different one. Okay, so... Uh, but hydroponics would be very easy to do down there too. Uh, especially with how large some of the culverts were. It wouldn't be hard. Yeah, and I mean, like, I, I, my wife is actually currently uh, prepping our basement to grow food this winter inside, mm. you know? So, like, I know it's possible, but as somebody who started trying to grow my own food this year, I suck at it. So I'm just like, I have a very bad gauge as to, is it possible to grow underground? Because like, I, I'm trying to grow in my backyard and I'm just like, uh, come on, tomato plant, do what you're supposed to do. You know, it's just like, come on, buddy, get up. You know, it's just like, it's so bad. Uh, but hopefully I do better next year. I, ha- I think I know what I did wrong this year. Uh, but so as a biologist, as an agricultural Basically, I just had a degree in ag, t- like ag technologies. So, how many degrees do you have? Two, two. Yeah, uh, both bachelors, masters, masters. What? So they're a cumulative of bachelors. Basically, I just did all bunch of biology on the first one, and then I'm just like, I'm so close to getting something in biology, I'll just keep going. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, with with that said, I personally have this perception of sciencey smart guys like yourself that you wouldn't pay mind to such things as what we're just discussing. Is that the case for most people like yeah. you? Uh, are you an exception or are you just hypothesizing, but you really don't believe what you just said? 
so like I said, I've, I'm going to make it very clear. I've never been on the Chicago airport. That was all Jimmy. So yeah. I'm hypothesizing on what he's seen. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not, but, I mean, I mean the growing, uh, the, the, the food underground for a, a rich civilization of people. I believe that whole there's thing. something there, whether it's capability. Of so you food. do believe there's something there. Yeah. hundred percent. There's, I, I believe him. There's something there, but it does have the capabilities of being a lot of different things though. Okay. It's just, all I know is that it's massive and it's not on any map that he's seen that he should have had access to because hmm. they were literally doing surveys that involved that area. So you'd expect if you want a crew that's poking around down there to have yeah. an accurate map. Gotcha. That's interesting. Hmm. Okay. And what do you Joel think about this, one. Jay? I mean, I tend to agree with what he thinks about there being an underground bunker cities, possible future civilization, you know, growing there. But I like the power plant idea. I really think there might be some sort of, whether it's nuclear power plant or something like that. I think maybe something like that's going on, which could be powering who knows what. And that's, mm. that's where there's another mystery because then what do they need all this extra power for and why do they need to keep it hidden yeah. off the actual grid if that is the case, you know? Yeah. Hypothesizing. Yeah. No, that's what we do. We just think out loud. Right, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and, and we know that we're going to have arrows thrown at us for thinking out loud without having definite conclusions on topics. But it's fun. <laughs> yes. So uh, that's an interesting story. Jimmy uh, saw something underneath that water that I was... I was assuming that it was something going into the water from the surface, but seeing it under the water, that just kind of like, wow, that's interesting. That's really interesting. Uh, I, I'd be interested to hear if anybody else ever has seen or heard of anything going on as far as like underground stuff out that way. That's interesting. Um, so that's Chicago, Jimmy Woo. I keep wanting to say Jimmy Woo Hoo because that's fighting Dr. Away. Seuss. <laughs> for our first sponsor today we have simply safe listen if you have been thinking about doing the whole home security system now is literally the time to do it simply safe is my absolute favorite company and it's not anything particular other than the fact that it's so stinking easy to set up. I understand there's other companies out there that offer very similar services. Somebody breaks in, somebody's bad. You know what? Dispatch gets notified. They call the police. Police arrive. It's a pretty simple process that a lot of companies offer. But what other companies don't offer that Simply Safe offers is the ease of setup. You can do it yourself. It saves you money in the long run and you can be as meticulous as possible while you're setting up your home security. And let me tell you, this past week, I was at my sister's wedding in Pennsylvania. I left my house. I left my studio. And guess what? I was getting notified on the Simply Safe app a lot during the week and I'm checking my phone. Okay, making sure nobody's breaking into the studio, nobody's breaking into the house and my house is going off like crazy because apparently we tried to pause the mail. The mail still came. Target packages came to the house that Lindsay ordered that came late that she needed for the trip to Pennsylvania that now she doesn't know what to do with. All that stuff came and I knew about it right there on the camera system on the house being notified 
when somebody's showing up in my house. Even the lady next door who's taking care of the cat, she was popping up. Listen, Simply Safe works. I've been using it for years. It's the only security system I've ever trusted with my house and now my studio. And right now, you can get a huge, huge discount, the biggest of the year for Simply Safe. Don't miss your chance for massive savings on my favorite security system. Get 50% off any new system at simplysafe.com slash confessionals today. This is their biggest discount of the year. That's simplysafe.com slash confessionals. There's no safe like Simply Safe. You doing so you said you you work at a hospital now. Yeah, so I tore my knee out last year, so I had to give up the fisheries work. I just gotcha. physically couldn't do it anymore. That stinks. Yeah, I miss it, but I love what I do now. I love uh, people I work with. Do you? I do. Okay. Uh, I do enjoy my job. I would never want to work in a hospital. I work in a very small hospital. But they, they, they have that smell, that distinct smell that I just could never get past. <laughs> like I almost missed my kid's birth because I didn't want to be in there. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, so I... Uh, so I basically, I was a fisheries technician, which is was a, it's like a field biologist. It's hard to explain to somebody that's like not in the field. Yeah. So I just say biologist because it's the easiest word for people to understand. Sure. My actual title was fisheries technician, which means field biologist. I was the guy, I didn't do a lot of the lab work mm. or if any of it, which I'm happy for. Mm-hmm. I'd rather be out doing it stuff, you know. For sure. That, that, uh, that actually, uh, that fits you. For yeah. what you're doing right now with everything that you do now, it makes sense. You'd want to be out there and just kind of in the environment doing things. Like you asked earlier, if I was the anomaly for my the field I was in, yeah, uh, I would talk about it in the lab and stuff like that when we'd see all the people. So our whole facility was fairly large, like maybe thirty employees, which is pretty big for a bio, you know, bio environmental service company. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, it's like five or six people, and they never see each other. One of our lab guys, I went in. Uh, we were talking about Bigfoot in the shop, and he heard us. He was a calorician, so what they do is they go into an environment. And they decide how many calories can support how many animals in that environment from the top down. So how many black bears that all the frog population can support. Like a big thing in Michigan, people don't realize most of the protein black bears eat is amphibians. Mm. They're not hunting down deer. They're not, you know, killing salmon. They do eat those food products, but that's a very rare infrequency. They're mostly eating small protein sources to get to make up for that. It's a lot easier to catch 50 frogs than it is to catch an adult deer. Yeah. Uh, so he came in and he heard us talking about Bigfoot and he's just like, you know, it was again with one of those guys, you know, that's just bull crap. There's nothing, nothing real with Bigfoot. And he just kind of, and then he walked away. I thought that was the end of it. Then like two or three weeks later, I shared this with Eric. He loved it. But two or three weeks later, he throws me a piece of paper and I'm like, well, what's this? He's like, if Bigfoot was real and they are roughly two times the size of a black bear and they're feeding on a similar diet. This is how many of them could survive on the North American continent. And the low end was 5,000. The high end was 35,000. But he put it right in the middle at 50, you know, 15,000. It was his magic number. And he's like, if they were That's real. a lot. Yeah. But think about trying to find 15,000 African elephants on the North American continent. For sure. Yeah. But, 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 but with that, it's a lot in the sense of, let's just put, and you said North America or United States? North American continent. North America. So Canada. So Canada. And, part yeah. of Central America. So let's just, and he said 15,000, he, he said, yeah, okay. Conservatively, that's the, that's the number. So you said Canada and North and, and America and United yeah. States, we're not counting Latin America, right? Just a little bit of Central just, America, okay. the actual continental part. So let's, let's take it down to, um, let's just say 5,000 in, in the United States. 
to 5,000 divided by 52 per state, not even 52. Let's, let's take out, uh, uh, Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, um, wait, 52, 50, um, <laughs> uh, 52 days in a year, Tony, come on, get it right. Um, but so 49 states, you know, that's still a lot per, yeah. mm-hmm. per state. Uh, and so it makes sense in the sense that people say they see things, but then we don't really have the ability to just go out and find things. You know, you know what I mean? I know big cat biologists that their whole, they have a tag cat and they can't find it. Mm. They have a tracker on this mountain lion that's pinging and they cannot find this mountain lion. How's that possible? Because they're really good at hiding and they don't want you to find them. Wow. Because last time you found it, you tranked it and put a collar on it. <laughs> <laughs> Fool me once, shame on me. Hell Fool yeah. me twice. You're not going to fool me again. <laughs> so even if you say they're just as smart as a big cat or a little smarter, you know, we all have opinions on how intelligent Sasquatch is. Yeah. But let's say they're the same level as a big cat and they really don't want to be around people. You're not going to find them. Mm. You can be walking in that woods for circles. They could be behind you half the time. You'd never know about it. That's interesting. I'm really glad you said that because um, the fact that the cat is tagged and it still can't be found really puts it in perspective as the ability to hide if wanting if you want to be right. hidden, mm-hmm. uh, especially if it's in your own backyard, your own home. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. That's really interesting. Uh, so you have no problem believing in Bigfoot, correct? Uh, now, because uh, I well, like we'll get to it later. I had mm-hmm. my own encounter. Mm-hmm. If I didn't, I would not believe. I would never be disrespectful to somebody. What I, the field I went into, I was always biologically minded. Just everything in science says it shouldn't exist, even though that's not true. When you look at them feasibly, they, they do exist. Well, I know they exist, but feasibly they can exist. Mm-hmm. The, the continent hasn't changed very much since the last ice age. The food source, the base food source is still here. The megafauna all died out for different reasons, uh, but they're just all, one of some of our last bit of megafauna. We still have elk, we still have moose, you know, we still have the bison. You still have these giant animals that are capable of surviving. Yeah. I mean, moose are elk where we go fishing out in Michigan. I've walked up on elk. Didn't know they were there. That's a 900 pound animal. Wow. And it's like, oh, we both looked at each other because neither of us knew we were there. Mm. I'd rather be around a black bear than an elk. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. I've, I've never been around a black bear, uh, you know, out in the wild, uh, nor an elk, but uh, I might be actually getting into hunting and uh, I'd like to go hunting for elk. But, um, Let's let's uh, start transitioning here because I want to kind of I wanted to explore your background and how you kind of view things and I thought that was going to be important moving forward so I wanted to tackle it before we mm-hmm. got any further. Um, now you used to be out in the field before you were mm-hmm. in the hospital. Was it your job and working uh, in the field that took you to Illinois where you had this? I'm assuming you had some kind of experience or understanding of a hedron collider. Did you meet somebody that told you about it? So I, please tell me you stumbled across it, went inside and sh- saw the lizard people. Not that far. Dang it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, is that's what took us to work. Uh, that's my work is what took us there. Uh, so basically a lot of these sites that we do, uh, most of them, they can be from tiny little streams to great big rivers, but they are on cycl- cyclical cycles. So most of our sites are on two-year or three-year cycles. Some of our sites are on seven-year cycles. You know, it can be any number. It just depends on what the survey will pay for. So it basically is to just monitor to make sure the river is only getting better or staying the same, not getting worse. When it gets worse, somebody needs to pay more money. Mm. Uh, 
And that, nobody wants to do that. No. <laughs> right. So it usually people, comes out of taxpayer pocket. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chicago's pretty good about trying to make other people pay for it. Yeah. Business mostly. Gotcha. But uh, so this site hadn't been surveyed for seven years uh, that we're getting ready to go to. The instructions on it are enter from the back of the facility. There's a fence. You have the key. So basically, the guy that first did this survey site doesn't work for my company anymore. Nobody on my crew has ever been to this site. So we get a little piece of paper that says, this is the t- last time we went to this site. You drive down an old, I don't know, basically a little stone road behind the woods. You'll hit a locked gate. Here's the key for the locked gate. You go through, do the site. So we do this. And this big giant fence, big lock on it. And we unlock it. We go through. And we find the stream. And this stream is like, you know, three or four inches wide. We still have to survey it. Really? There's no fish. I, I know some of the stuff we surveyed, you'd be like, why do we do that? Because the bug crew will then come in and then the chemistry crew will come in. But you need to get data on all those. Even though there's no fish, that's still data. Uh, but I, it is, for what's about to happen, it does look ridiculous. So we get there. And like I said, we look like Ghostbusters most of the time. We're bringing a thing called a backpack shocker or a backpack shocking unit for fishery surveys. Some of it looks like a Ghostbuster backpack with a big wand out the front of it and it shoots electricity. So it looks freaky. So we start unpacking. I put this thing on. We're flooded by people in like seconds. And we're like, what the hell? These guys are armed very heavily. And they're just yelling at us like, what the hell are you doing here? What the hell are you doing here? And we're like, fish survey. Because <laughs> we have permits and everything. We have permission slips. And they, so they look at this little creek and they look at these three nerds in the middle of nowhere (laughs) saying fish survey. (laughs) And they're like, hell no, it's not a fish survey. One thing I did leave out is right behind this other side, we thought it was an oil pipe. This thing's like 12, 15 foot, you know, diameter, this giant pipe. We're like, that's a lot of oil. You know, we don't know what the hell it is. Uh, These guys, and they, they take our phones, they go through to make sure we didn't take any pictures. And we'd have to take site pictures and stuff. They went through, deleted all those. They took our IDs and then they left. We were there for like a half hour, sweating bullets with a bunch of armed men. And we did not know why we were being, we're not in a good situation. We're panicking. I think I'm like 22 at this point. I was very young in my my career. I just got out of my first year out of college for fisheries. And it's just ridiculous. Finally, they come back. It's like a half hour later. And they were like, we got a hold of the last site manager. He said he forgot to let us know that you guys were coming. And you're not welcome anymore. And give us the key back. And we're like, yep, there you go, sir. Here's the key. Here's our data sheets. We will not be coming back. What had happened was, it was originally a uh, some kind of laboratory. And they got bought out by the government. And they built a <sighs> hydron collider there. A mini one. <gasps> and they didn't tell. Nobody knew that back gate was back there. It's in the middle of a woods. You can't see it. And so seven years ago, it was just a bio lab and we had a key to the gate. Oh my gosh. It was one of the scariest moments of my life because you're just swarmed by people that are armed and not happy. Because there's a bunch of guys near a hydron collider with Ghostbusters gear saying they're here for a fish survey. (laughs) (laughs) I would have shot me. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. So, So basically, you got like... Wow. The old property manager is yeah, what the old site manager. saved your this site oh. manager saved your rear end. Yeah, well, they were going to keep us there the whole uh, probably indefinitely. 
uh, I pro- we probably weren't leaving if they didn't, if he didn't say, yeah, it's a fish crew. They come every X years, you know, I forgot to say, but yeah, they were calling him. They were calling all kinds of people. They already checked, like they were doing background checks on us and all kinds of stuff. They took our IDs. Wow. Wow. No badges or nothing on nobody. Nobody was affiliated with anything. Of course not. Of course not. And that scares the hell out of you even more. Oh yeah. Cause you don't know who this is. We are freaking these guys out. Cause the stuff we ha- the equipment we have, they can't explain. They don't understand what we're saying. <laughs> it looks freaky. I really, I have to get a picture for you so you can post it because it's yeah, it it's hard to explain what this thing looks like. And these guys are on edge, and we are on edge. <laughs> oh my gosh! But you're not you're not the most threatening person like no. visually. But so these it's an area nobody's supposed to be. Yeah, I'm sure sure on some security camera they look back. There's three guys in a truck. Carrying this Ghostbusters equipment, walking they're, they're like they're trying to blow this place up. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure <laughs> we had gas and stuff because we run a generator. Well, so we wow. had everything, you know. Wow, that's crazy. That's crazy. Shoot, dude. Yeah, like so. Is this something that's well known as far as a Hedron Collider? I mean, we're in that moment when this is happening. Did they inform you this is a Hedron Collider? No, oh hell no. Yeah. So uh, how'd you find out? It was we looked a it up later. It took okay. a lot of research because there's there's not really any markings on the building. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we're told we weren't really supposed to. We're not really supposed to say what the building was. So, but we didn't sign nothing. But I'm not going to say what the building w- was. But it's in it's in Illinois. I'll give you the state. But uh, just because I don't want anybody coming to my house you don't need that private army showing back up yeah but no we didn't know and they were not telling us anything and then like leave now it's pretty much give us the key give us all your documents and they went through all of our phones deleted every make sure we didn't have anything and then just leave now and we also have gps units we have water meters we have all this stuff that just doesn't make any sense with all these wires yeah Holy crap, man. And uh, yes, we looked it up later. Basically, we found X Lab. We knew the X Lab, you know, the lab before what it was. And it's even, it was in our notes and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went into the front of the building. We just seen there's about 85 gates. So you can't even get close to the thing anymore. But the, like, so we, a lot of our work was based off of old field notes. So with some old biologist that was already retired, wrote down, yep, just go through the back gate. They know you're coming. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 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 that's so like, um, like that that's just so typical like like that 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 of course it would be like that you know like this is it was an old site that it isn't what it is now and the, the only instruction you have from an old guy who's been retired for 100 years is just like <laughs> yeah there's an old gate and you just go right through it and the streams there do your job good out should be you know 2 hours max you know and all of a sudden you're being swarmed that's crazy. I mean, yeah, we were there for at least 40 minutes. That whole site shouldn't have took more than 20. They they, they uh, informed you that this was a government facility at that point, I'm assuming? No. No. They didn't tell us nothing. They didn't we, t- really? So we you weren't had- asking questions either. You, you weren't? Weren't. Why not? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> they were not excited we were there. Yeah. And we were not excited we were there. Yeah. So So you left there not knowing who they were. Nope. We didn't know nothing. So you were pretty confused. Oh, yeah. We went straight to back to the hotel. We stopped working for the day. We were all like... Yeah. Because uh, it was just... That was our first sight of the day because it's supposed to be the easy one. We're supposed to, you know, 20 minutes <laughs> in and out. You get, we, nobody pointed a gun at us. I want to make that clear. But there was a lot of people holding a lot of guns around us. Yeah. They were not happy we were there. And yeah. so, so, all right. Here's the thing. Uh, I... And, and I, I've never been in this situation, so I, I'm only speaking from what I would assume I would f- be in that situation. 
I would, I would think that I'd be like, well, who are you? You know, like, 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 who are you? Cause I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I need some identification. Like, I, I'm not letting, like, and again, this is, I mean, Illinois, so the gun laws are different anyway. So like, but like, if that happened here, I'd be like, yo, well, I got one too. So show me some, like, what, what, what is this? You know, uh, I, nobody, no, none of your team, you all just left there just knowing that some, some dudes rolled up on you with guns and Sorry. asking for information. Biologists and- are very introverted and shy people generally. <laughs> I am the oddball. <laughs> and I was not asking questions. I'm young. I, I'm, I'm still young, but I'm, I was young then right out of high, right out of college. And I'm just, I don't, I'm not asking any questions. I want to go home. I want to see my girlfriend. I want to talk to my parents. Like I don't want to end up in the hydron collider. You know, what's funny is that, uh, if that happened to me today, I, my one of my first thoughts would be after the initial scare would be, man, this is gonna be a great story if I survive. Like I'm like, <laughs> I cannot wait to tell this story on the show. <laughs> oh, I don't think man. I've ever shared it on the show. Do you think uh, it was lacking on that one? Do you think it was a private army or do you think it was government uh, officials with the guns? I don't know. They were they 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 were an army. I don't care which if they were government or private. Like private, they security. had enough. They had enough militia to take care of that place very well. Yeah, but yeah. uh, yeah, we never went back. And there's nothing on the front of the building that says what it is. Like, really, there's no identification marks and stuff like that. It's basically a big gray building with a lot of different you know rooms. It doesn't say anything with a bunch of gates on the front end. Because we did like a week later, I think we drove past the front because we had other sites in the area we had to do. We stayed out of that area for like a week, mm. but we had to eventually go back and work. Because uh, we literally had sites all around that place. And then we could start seeing, like, you could barely see chunks of the tube. Yeah. And it's massive. I mean, it's a small one. It's not like the one that wears it in, in Europe or something. Yeah, it's like under Switzerland and yeah. part of France. But it's, you know, this is probably a, a half mile wide. Okay. And I, I think it's scrubbed on Google. We tried to look it up on Google and there's no picture of it. But that was years ago. I haven't looked recently. It's interesting. So they, they tried keeping the whole, the whole thing secret. Yeah. They're Which, not advertising nothing. Yeah. I mean, like we're, we're about 30 minutes from a Hedron Collider mm-hmm. uh, with Oak Ridge. And that's something that's, that's known, you know, it, like uh, you can go to their website, you can look at who the scientists are that work there and all that. So the fact that they keep it secret is... I think partially some of the secret may come from the area it's in and I won't, I, I don't ever tell anybody where it is on anything recorded just because I don't mm-hmm. want to come back on me. Yeah. But the area is higher end. So I feel like if the neighborhood knew, <laughs> there would be an uproar. I got you. And there's enough money to make a stink about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, we don't have anybody. So if it built, they built next to us, what are we going to do? Yeah. They have enough money to raise a lot of concern. Wow. Okay. All right. That's crazy. How many uh, Hedron Colliders do you think are in this country? I have, uh, I don't This know. country. I have no idea. Because, I mean, you have, like, so we have here at Oak Ridge, publicized uh, you have one in Illinois yep. there uh, that seems p- pretty secret so I wonder how many more secret ones there are I know the problem with building the big ones is you need a lot of flat area because you can't have a lot of change in basically you know in height because it messes up the experiments so out west would be a really good area to start building them you got the big lice flat plateaus and stuff like yeah. that solid rock uh, it's it's always was weird to me. There was one in Illinois because they, there's probably they built it right there because that was the only spot they could find in that you know general 
area to put one. Yeah. Because they're very, very mm. specifically built machines. I don't know a lot about them. Like, I, I did fish and salamanders. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I, but it was, it was one of the scariest experiences of my life. Yeah. I, I can imagine. I can imagine. That would be terrifying, especially as a 20, 21, 22 year old mm. guy. I remember where I, in my early 20s, I was like 21 years old and I was a parking enforcement officer in Reading, Pennsylvania. And oh my gosh. Uh, talk about uh, a wake-up call, you know, like that job, I did it for a year. That job is what made me start driving truck. I was like, mm-hmm. I'm out of here because I, I, my life was in, in danger every day. I mean, I yeah. like, like I'm just writing parking tickets and the, the people want to shoot me. Yeah. I'm just like, what the heck? You know, uh, it, it's just a, a culture thing. But going back to that age, like I was like early, early 20s. I didn't know how to react to a full grown person threatening my life over a parking ticket so being your age having like an army of guys coming <laughs> who are you and it's like oh god just want to go home now yeah they were yeah, not asking sense. any questions politely yeah that makes sense wow okay Okay, for our last sponsor today, we have Uncommon Goods. This is a new sponsor that I'm actually really excited about because I am really, really bad at getting gifts. If anybody out there can relate, holler at me because this is something that I have been plagued with my entire life. I am not good at buying gifts for people, including my wife, and I have conditioned my wife over the years to not expect anything. And if you get anything, just be happy I remembered when it comes to birthdays and Christmas, I kid you not, she expects nothing out of me. I'm actually sitting in a really good spot. I'm about to ruin it with Uncommon Goods because they are a website that have tons of gift ideas for any occasion, knickknacks to books. And actually, you know what? Let me tell you this. I'm looking at this book right now, Dangerous Games to Play in the Dark on the website. And I was like, oh, is that like, you know, just some kind of fun little game or or are we talking about like the classic stuff that you don't want to really mess with? And oh, it, it was the, the, the later because it says test your bravery by completing classic rituals like Bloody Mary and Light as a Feather, Stiff as a Board. I was like, oh, that's a book I don't want to mess with. Maybe you guys do, but I don't. There's a lot of great gift ideas on here outside of this book, though. Anywhere from those little sand gardens to gloves to books to just chocolates, like tons of stuff. If you're interested in trying to find something unique for people in your life, this is the place you want to go to. And if you're somebody like me who just can't buy gifts, like you suck at it, you don't know what you're doing, this is a great website to go and it'll give you tons of ideas every time you go. And right now, you can go and get 15% off your next gift. Go to uncommongoods.com slash Tony. That's uncommongoods.com slash Tony for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, we're all out of the ordinary. So um, you have uh, you have these Bigfoot experiences uh, where I have on my notes here, Bigfoot, Bigfoot harassed family for two years. Yeah. Now, is this something that like was on your property as yeah. a family property? All right. So uh, with that, how old were you when you came to the realization that Bigfoot was harassing you on the family property? Was it the sighting itself that kind of cemented it for you or what? That is what told us it was a Bigfoot. We thought it was a man before that. 
we were 100% convinced it was a guy. Like I said earlier, we live right next to a college town. College kids are awful. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was one, but they are <laughs> awful. <laughs> uh, so, you know, they torture people in our area all the time, especially our college because it's a really rich college and we're a very not rich town. Gotcha. So it's just like they, yeah. But uh, it was over two years. I was 16 and 17. Um, I only remember that. So I believe it was, if I get any of the numbers wrong, I'm sorry, anybody. Uh, I believe it was 2010, 2011 were the two years it happened. So it was only from like May to October. So, you know, just summer. We had a very large farm. I have three siblings and two adopted siblings. So we are a very big family. We had a very large farm, horses, rabbits, you know, chickens, ducks. Uh, I showed professional poultry, which sounds really funny. But I had some chickens that were six, seven, eight hundred dollars a bird. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. And I also had normal chickens. You know, I had the two dollar chickens. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but you know, we showed higher end poultry, um, and we showed horses too. So our property is shared on one of the largest woods in Hardin County, Ohio. Uh, Hardin County, Northwest Ohio, was pretty much corn in little tiny specks of woods. We don't have the great forest of you know Southeast Ohio or anything like that. Uh, but our family had one of the largest woods. You know, and we shared it with two other families and they were both older couples, no kids. So, like I said, the first year, a lot of small weird stuff was happening. So we had this giant grain bin that my dad built because we were buying so much animal feed that basically he built it so he could put a whole pallet's worth of each type of food in so he only had to buy it every two months. Mm -hmm. And the lid on it was probably 70 or 80 pounds. My littler siblings couldn't open it by themselves. My bigger sibling. I'm the oldest biological kid. I do have an older adopted sister. But, you know, it's hard to open when you're young. Uh, It kept getting left open. And that's bad. Rats stuff get into it and stuff like that. And it ruins the horse grain and stuff. And it was weird. It kept getting left open. And we were blaming each other. Stuff was getting moved around. Like buckets and rakes and all kinds of stuff. was ending up in weird corners of the yard and in the fence and stuff like that. And it just was stuff where we were getting at each other's throats. Because... Life's hard enough. Why are you making it harder on each other? You know, you're going out of your way. It's not just my, one of my siblings being lazy or me being lazy to them. It's going out of the way to make stuff, you know, harder. It just doesn't make any, you know. So that year goes on. Another thing I kind of forgot is that we worked, my, me and my mom showed horses also. So my dad got a stadium light and he put it in the yard so we could work the horses at night so they don't overheat. So you can still train your horses and stuff like that, but it's not in the heat of the day. Horses overheat very easily. Uh, we had horse trails, four-wheeler trails in the woods, stuff like that. Uh, so this is 2010. I'm just trying to make sure I, I get the dates right. 2010. I worked at McDonald's. I was a closer. It's 4th of July weekend. I believe it's the 3rd. It's a Friday. My family had gone up to Indian Lake, which is probably 30 miles from where we live. We had a camper there. They had gone up for the fireworks that night. They were staying there. I just get off work at McDonald's. It's 11 o'clock. I've already missed the fireworks. I'm like, I'm not going to drive up tonight. I'm going to go home. I'm going to sleep. And I'll go up, in the, you know, go up to the lake in the morning. Our driveway was about half a mile long. You could not see our house from the road. We were so secluded. We loved it. Uh, you know, up until certain things happened. But, you know, it's a big, long driveway. Uh, our house was shaped like a big U with the kitchen and the living room being even. And they were all glass. And then the rest of the house was behind. So just the big you that faced into the woods. I get home. We got three dogs. Sonny is a Labradoodle. 
Uh, he's defended my mom. He actually bit a guy for my mom. Some guy tried to grab my mom. Uh. And he's not, he was that dog we used to kill coyotes and stuff like that. He is not, uh, he's not shy. And we had Bailey, which was a, a beagle mutt. So about 40 pound dog. And we had Clarice, which is like a nine pound dog. She's still alive. She's almost 19. <laughs> Jeez. Hoping we go home that she's still alive. <laughs> uh, so I come in the kitchen to let the dogs out because they've been, you know, they all went up to the lake probably five o'clock. It's, you know, it's 1130 at this point and they won't come out and they won't even come to the kitchen. They won't come out of the doorway. I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird, but whatever, you know, I don't really think much of it. I'm just figuring they just don't want to go. So as I start walking through the house, the dogs are following me. They're like standing on top of me. And then I lay on the couch and Bailey and Clarice, the two littler dogs get on me, which is not odd. Uh, but then the weird thing is Sonny tries to get on top of me. And that he's never, he doesn't do that. He, you know, he's a 140 pound dog. He doesn't, you know, he's not a lap dog. He knows yeah. he's not a lap dog. So I'm like, no, I pushed him off and he laid like right next to me on the couch. So the living room is all glass. And, you know, you see the woods. I'm watching TV. Way off. And the other side of the woods, I hear boom, boom, boom. Fourth of July weekend. Just somebody, somebody has family over there lighting off fireworks. So you say boom, like, 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 like it, sound, sounded, it sounded like a thunderous boom or I was it like a wood knock or? Wood knock, hammer strike or small firework. Okay. Nothing, not like shaking the house or nothing. It's way off too. Okay. About another 10, 15 minutes pass. Boom, boom, boom. Another 10 or 15 minutes pass. Boom, boom, boom. It's slowly getting closer. Still not, I'm figuring somebody has grandkids over, one of the other neighbors, and they're just playing in the woods and stuff. It's not on our property, so it doesn't matter to me. But then I start thinking maybe it's Nick. My best friend lives just down the road a little bit. He would go in that woods and do stuff. So I call him, and he's like, no, we're actually in Pennsylvania tonight for a, uh, a, like a family reunion thing. I'm like, okay, well, somebody's in the woods. Just tell your dad and stuff like that so he knows that somebody's out there for tomorrow. He's like, okay, hang up. So it's in the boom, boom, boom. It's getting closer, closer. Now it sounds like somebody's hitting a tree with a hammer. And then it stops for a little bit. And then probably another like 10, 15 minutes. Boom, boom, boom on the side of the barn. The horses kick down. They just start whinnying. They're going nuts in the pasture. I can hear just the horses freaking out. I am frozen. And the dogs are just not doing anything. Sonny is not barking. He is just frozen and he's whimpering and he's like just laying on me. And it's freaking me out more than anything else is Sonny. As he would literally, he would, he'd open the door and he'd go after a coyote, he'd go after a person. He didn't matter. He's just not doing anything because he's scared. And it's just, it's, that was freaking me out more. Uh, and then I'm frozen. There's the gun cases in the next room. I don't want whoever's out there to see me where I am. Like I said, this room is all glass and it faces into the woods. So whoever's out there can see where I am. The barn's probably 100 yards from the front door. And then another 10 minutes goes by. Boom, boom, boom. We had a project Porsche that was maybe 30 feet from the front door. It's only 30 feet from me. And I'm just, the dogs are whimpering and I'm just, I'm, I'm so frozen. Whatever it is, is just right, it's right there. It knows where I am. It's only 30 feet from me. It, it's just freaking me out. I'm, I'm basically in tears at this point. I'm cr- like crying on the couch. And my aunt and uncle, they were living with us at the time. They come blaring down the driveway, playing music. Whatever it is, it takes off. I come out. I am bawling. I'm 16 year old. And I'm just bawling. They grab me and the dogs. We go stay at my grandma's house for the night. Next morning, uh, Nick, my buddy, 
his dad was military police. He was SWAT. There's all this stuff. And he comes out and he wants to, like, he just, we're, my dad's 100% convinced it was a man at this point. So he's coming out there looking for evidence. And he's, and he found where he hit the barn and he found where he hit the porch. He's like, it had to be a guy with a sledgehammer and he hit it four times. And I'm like, no, he only hit three times. Like I was there. It was every time it was only three times. And he's like, no, he hit four times. And we're like, why do you think he hit four times? Because there's four marks in the barn lying in each other about eight foot off the ground. And it had to be a sledgehammer because to get hit that high, you'd need a longer shaft hammer. And the Porsche had the same thing. Four marks. But later on, it looks like knuckle marks. It's like four indents that are separately apart, but in a line or a rough line, you know. And so that was the big one of the 2010. And we still had the stuff getting moved. We had all kinds of weird stuff happening. Then late September or October hits, stops. It goes away. Next year in May, it starts back up again. But it is way more dramatic. The piles of stuff. So now it's stacking stuff in our yard, in the corners of our fence. They had like car hoods, piles of two by fours, buckets. Hay bales. Just, These things would just show up on your property? Yeah. Like car hoods? Like just... our stuff. It's our stuff being moved around our property. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, so we're about to kill each other because half, you know, half my siblings are blaming each other for this stuff. And then my dad's convinced it's a man coming on our property. And, you know, we're all freaked out. We won't go out at night and stuff like that. And some of these stacks were just huge and stuck in corners, the fence and stuff. They were inside the pasture, outside the pasture. And it just, so all this stuff. And then my expensive chickens were in a very high-end chicken coop. Basically, only me or you could get into it. You have to be a person to get into it. And the fence is electrified. That way to keep foxes and stuff, raccoons especially, open fencing up. So if it's electrified, they normally don't. But I started having those chickens disappear. That's a financial problem. Because it's not a three or four dollar bird every time, you know, it's, you know, five, six hundred bucks every time one of those is just gone. And then its breeding potential is gone too. So we go out to the Amish country and we buy a red healer dog. I don't know if you've ever experienced them. They are monsters. And this dog had been trained for farm life. It was supposed to be on the farm. It stayed on the farm. It mm-hmm. wasn't supposed to be on the farm. It died. She would patrol the fe- like all night. She slept all day. All night she would patrol the wood line and kill and eat pretty much anything. She's killed at that point. One day she'd come up to the house covered in blood and we couldn't find a scratch on her. Then the next morning we went out and there's three dead coyotes. Uh, this dog, this dog was just a monster. Red healer. Yeah. I had two of them show up at my house this, this past summer. They're I didn't base. Know, I, so I didn't understand why they were howling at night. That's why. Oh, yeah. So they're awake at night. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. They're, know they're, that. they're nocturnal, basically. Gotcha. Because that's the one they work. Gotcha. Uh, they're, they're, and they, they wouldn't mess with the chickens. And it's weird to see a dog that you just seen you know, kill a fox or a coyote lay right next to a chicken and not do anything. Because <laughs> it knows it's, it was bred and trained for one job is to protect every animal on this farm. Wow. And once it learned that line, or, uh, Lucy would not let anybody cross it. So what started happening, though, is she'd tree stuff on that line. If animals didn't run back into the woods, they'd run up a tree right there. She'd stand there and bark all night until she went hoarse. So we had to start knocking stuff out of trees for her. And everything from like possums, raccoons, you know, raccoons, the big one. And, and so that way she could kill it. If she didn't kill it, she wouldn't stop. So one night, me and Luke, she, Lucy's barking at something, just going absolutely nuts. 
And we're like, okay, you know, it's a raccoon. We're just good. We, I think it's literally a baseball bat and a golf club out of the garage. And we're like, we're just going to knock the raccoon out of the tree. And then, you know, that'll be it. We get, we see where Lucy's standing. She's standing in front of one of those four wheeler trails. So there's no trees there. And she's just barking like a madman. And we're like, that's kind of weird. So we start walking down and we both see it at the same time. But I say, Luke, stop. And he already had stopped. He's just giant green eyes. We're looking down at Lucy. Blinking real slow. Blinking real slow. On the third blink, it was just staring right at us. And we're shaking up and I'm just like, Luke, Luke, don't, don't turn your back. Don't run. And we start walking back. Yeah, we, that made it for about 10 feet. And we, were, we come in the house. We're just bawling. My poor dad is just done. He gets the gun and he goes down there. And Lucy's still standing right where she was in front of this hole in the woods. Barking. That's a brave dog. That's a brave I dog. I think we, she was about two seconds from not being a dog before we came out. <laughs> wow. So dad comes, stands right next to her. It's like, you son of a, you know, come out now. You've scared my kids. You've tortured us for two years. This, we're done. Coming out now, I'm going to start shooting in the woods. And he counts three, and obviously nobody comes out. So he aims in the top of the trees. Me and Luke are on the front porch outside watching this. He, so he aims, shoots in the top of the trees. It sounds like 10 feet back in the woods, just in the darkness, like a bison is just ripping through the woods. Dad falls backwards, runs to the house. And all he would say to me, Luke, and my mom, all my other siblings were younger. And he's just like, it's not a man. It's not a man. It's not a man. And we didn't talk about it for years. And so I, I guess I guess we seen the, the, the head shape. I didn't see details. We just, because the way the light from the horse light was shining, it was given that weird effect where you could see the outline of the creature and then you see its eyes shine from the light. But it was just hulking. It was about seven and a half foot tall and just thick. And it gives me goosebumps still. And it was, we were done. We actually moved out like three months later for different things happen. I'll tell you about in a second, but it was there. And if I had never had that experience, I wouldn't believe in anything. Shows like finding Bigfoot and Mount Monster, how goofy they can be, you know, that's what made us realize that other people seeing, you know, seeing these things, experience these things. We didn't really talk about it again until I was probably 19 or 20. Amongst each other or to yeah, other people? Yeah, amongst each other. Wow. Because it freaked us all out separately so bad. We're very religious people. We're all Christian family. And we had other stuff happen too. And we just chalked up with one of those events. And it just was a different part of our life. That year, my mom got cancer. And it just was a long battle. It just, you know, it was just a lot of stuff happened immediately. And yeah. we just buried it. Because it just wasn't the thing in the forefront of our minds. Wow. Well. I want to hear what else happened. Okay. Cause like, <laughs> I, I, listen, that story, I don't know if is the other stuff Bigfoot related or is it more same property right before he moved out. Okay. Not Bigfoot, but not Bigfoot. Yeah. Okay. It, all right. Uh, well, I want to hear about this, but, um, man, I'm just, th- I'm just thinking like the red healer. What did the red healer see? Because I, can't imagine that thing actually seeing what she was barking at and standing that ground. I think she fully seen that Bigfoot. That really? dog was messed up in the head. <laughs> <laughs> she was a little loopy. Yeah. Oh gosh. She she put a whole bunch of deer in the barn one time because she thought they were goats. My mom opened the door one day 
and a bunch of deer came out because they got in the pasture. They'd hop in our fence and eat. So when they got in the pasture, Lucy was like, you guys are supposed to be in the barn because they're goats, you know? So she <laughs> literally wouldn't let them out of the barn all night. The dog was not right. <laughs> Very good at her job. Uh, and I really think she was about two seconds from not being a dog. Yeah. So he was getting into the barn and eating the horse grain. That was the big thing. I don't know. You ever been around? You know what horse, like felt horse grain? I don't think so. It's mostly molasses. It's very sweet. Okay. So if you're an animal, That's it's great. very delicious stuff. Even to us, you know, it's just molasses. It's, you know, brown sugar, basically. Yeah. Uh, that's what the main thing was getting, and he's getting chickens. This dog directly stopped his two-year feeding cycle. So he's on year two of doing this. This dog was not letting him in the yard anymore without being detected. Wow. Because the whole time we had it, we didn't have any more structures. We didn't, you know, he didn't have anything weird. I think that night he was done with it and he was going to go get his food. And I really think if we'd have been a minute later, I don't think Lucy would have been a dog anymore. Wow. You know, it's interesting you say this stuff because it makes me uh, think back to episode 333, Dog versus Dog Man with Kyle. Uh, Kyle tells the story of this dog man in the woods. He was out hunting. Uh, raccoons at 15 years old and he has uh, this dog man long story short come in and uh, his dog uh, uh, Jake saved his life three times that night and there were people that were like man if dog man is what you know he says it is and as big as it is and stuff a a, a, a hunting dog a, I forget what kind of, uh, Christian do you remember the kind of dog that, that uh, Jake was it was a, some kind of hound Blue tick? I don't think it was a blue okay. tick. No, I, I don't remember. I, I, but uh, it, it was a it was a hound dog. It, it, it was a they treed raccoons right. and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And Jake and Jake was known as like the dog, biggest, strongest, best hunting dog. Right? But people were like, "Oh yeah, right." Like you know, no dog could stand a chance against a dog man, let alone three times, and then survive. And then here you are talking about how your dog was just like. There's, there's this Bigfoot that when it would come around that season, it wanted the food, it would get it until you got this this red healer. And all of a sudden, that red healer was enough to keep that that Bigfoot away. And it, then it takes me back to the whole, uh, the whole thing where people say that uh, Bigfoot do not like dogs. And, and people venture to, to, to guess that there is a conflict between dogman and dog and Bigfoot, but maybe it's Bigfoot and just these farm dogs. It's just like, you know, these freaking things, like we're trying to be stealth. We're trying to just get they our food and like get out and caught. Yeah. And, and these, I, that's the problem. Yeah. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Another thing with the Bigfoot thing, like I said, we had people come up and share their stories with us. The guy that came on our show, his name's Greg on his episode. I can't remember. Basically he's seen that a Bigfoot that was about seven and a half feet tall the same year, two miles from my house. Wow. And I know that's a long story. It's his own story, but it's a long story short. But basically he thought it was a cow in the ditch. Yeah. And so they started slowing down because like, okay, because there was cows out that day, uh, which happens a lot in our part of Ohio. Yeah, sure. Uh, so he just, you know, there's a cow out uh, and they started slowing down and they were going to help. He, Greg was going to get out and help get the cow back in. And then it stood up and it was this, he, what would he describe the teeth and everything as? The teeth? Remember, he said it looked like chiclets. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's seen it, and like, he just... And that's almost comical. Almost like, yeah, he had an up-close, like, within Greg touching Greg mount, mountain of a man. Yeah. Wow. And he was just... He was that close to it. Yeah. Three feet. Wow. Well, wow. It, he was still in his vehicle. Right. And I this mean, thing, he said, stood up out of the out of the field, 
and just took three huge steps, was already on the road and then passed the road. And he counted the steps. Wow. And as he's still creeping up on it. So it just passes his car and he creeps by it and he could reach out from his window and touch it. But that's when he saw probably the most detailed account I've ever heard anyone tell of a Bigfoot story. Mm-hmm. So he tells us this and we're like, well, what year was he? He's like 2011. And it's literally the next county road over. Mm-hmm. And I really think it was, I think for specifically Northwest Ohio and our, the whole Midwest, the top of the Midwest, there's not a lot of long-term shelter or food. There's seasonal abundance. Mm-hmm. I think our group is very migratory because they don't, they lose cover. So I think they just, they move through the area. Uh, I think we, I called him, like we called him Harry, we called him junior later on. So I think he was a juvenile male. Because if you look at all the famous Bigfoot encounters, they're all almost always seven and a half to eight feet tall. And that's what we kind of think speculatively that those are our juvenile males. These big hulking ones, they get pushed away from mom and dad. Yeah. I think he got an easy food source because there's other farms in that woods. And I think he stopped migrating. He spent all summer with, you know, in that area because he didn't have to do anything. Jackpot. Mm-hmm. Until I think dad shot, dad shot at him, quote unquote, you know, he shot up in the trees, but as far as he knew, he shot at him. So probably his, you know, they're called, you know, humans are bad and dangerous. He's looking at us two little kids, you know, I was 17, but you know, he's looking at two little kids like these things aren't dangerous. Yeah. And then boom. Oh, because everything stopped for the Bigfoot after that. It was done. Yeah. Wow. Should have shot just, sooner. We thought it was a man. Yeah. And dad had seen it. Oh, so my uncle Rob would listen to like radios and stuff halfway down our driveway. Because uh-huh. he's the only one that likes sports in our whole family. As you tell from our conversation earlier. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we'd all, make, we'd all pick on him for like listening to, listening to baseball on the radio. Mm-hmm. Like you're not even watching it. You're li- you know, it's just because we're not sports people. Yeah. So he'd go listen to it in his car. He did that until one night. Something ran by and slapped the trunk of his car and kept running. He never seen it. The whole car bounced. Woo. And he took off and he didn't come home all night. Wow. We didn't know what happened. Wow. And he didn't tell me about that till years later. Like he didn't tell anybody that. He just said he went to the bar. And then we started talking about it. He's like, Well, this is what happened to me. And, you know, we'd seen you know, seen stuff in the corn and stuff like that we thought were people. Yeah. And I think it was him getting bolder. In Boulder, Boulder. Uh, so the uh, the neighbor uh, earlier in the story, how they were out of town when you first started having that experience. Uh, did they ever say they saw anything? Had any experiences? No. So no, and they wouldn't even if they did. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that family very well, and if they had anything, it will die with them. Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. They're very private people. Yeah. So uh, what 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 drove you off this property? So. You, like, cause here's the thing. I mean, uh, at what point during the Bigfoot extravaganza did you come to the realization that it was Bigfoot that night that your dad shot or what? Years later. Year, okay. Gotcha. So, uh, whatever was going on, uh, cause I think you said it was only months later till you left that, right? at the end of that year. Okay. So, so this is midsummer and it was probably November when we were left. Okay. So months later you leave, but that whole thing wasn't enough to drive you away. So I'm interested to hear what drove you guys away. What, why we left the farm is, like I said, my mom got cancer. My mm-hmm. mom was the big driving force behind the farm. Yeah, My dad worked very hard, still works very hard. So we just couldn't do it anymore. Uh, we bought my grandparents' house at that time because they just didn't need it. You know, they went to a smaller place. We went into town. That is t- why we left. Okay. Uh, just because it just, 
farm, we had a massive farm with a lot of animals. You know, we had four horses. I had like 400 birds. Uh, my mom collected goats. Every auction she'd ever go to, she'd come home with a goat. But that's just my mom. That's like some moms come home with purses, but my mom comes home with goats. goats. <laughs> Every auction, my dad was like, she's coming home with a goat. I know it. <laughs> there'd be a goat in the bed of the truck. I just, oh man, I budget for this, son. I budget for this. And if you're wise, you'll learn from me. You'll budget for these things yeah. too. <laughs> well, she's, she bred goats to buy more goats. Oh man. But we also had stuff going on at the house. So the house we got is partially brand new. We built it and it's partially, you know, extremely old. We moved it from around the woods. It was the same woods. We picked up a house, moved it, connected it to a new foundation, that kind of deal. The guy we got it off of sold us for a dollar uh, just because he legally had to sell it. He sold the property for a dollar? The house. The house. He wanted to turn it to farmland. Gotcha. So it was one of his like aunts that hadn't been lived in it for like 30 years. So he just wanted to plow it under because he was a big farmer. Gotcha. And he just wanted the land. Uh, so he, well, he wanted the house off there. So dad's like, well, I'll pay to move it if you give it to us, you know? Yeah. So he did. Weird thing is when we start working on this house, this is way before we, you know, years, years and years and years before, I think I was nine, let's say roughly. I don't know. There's no poop in this house, like mouse poop, no raccoon poop. It's been empty for 30 years and it looks clean. Well, we start knocking out walls because, you know, we're not taking the whole thing. You got to, you know, we're just taking a chunk of it basically. The walls are full of snakeskins, shedded snakeskins. And I was always wanting to be, you know, a biologist, herpetologist was the one I was really excited to be. So I'm nine or something. I tell my dad, oh, this is a timberback rattler. Dad is like, it is not a timberback rattler. You know, we don't, we don't have those. And that part of Ohio, they've been extirpated to that point for like 150 years. So just, any, extirpated just means locally extinct. Uh, so I know. <laughs> I always do it for our show at home just because people would be like well, what's that word mean you're being me right now <laughs> uh, so he took it we actually have a biology department in our college and there's actually a herpetologist there and he took it there and she's like yeah it's a diamondback rattler skin and so he wasn't excited about that but he's told me I was right so my dad was always really good about that kind of stuff and we we're just like okay the house is very old yeah. obviously hundreds of snakeskins at this point, you know, it's died a long time ago. The day we lift the house off the foundation, uh, a big guy goes down there to finish, make sure it's all, make sure it's all cut. Nothing's hanging on the house still. And there's this giant snake laying there just basking. He takes off. He got a bit, I'm like, so I'm like nine, nine, I'm there and he's fighting with the, the guy and he's like, you get down there, make sure it's all cut or you're fired. And he's like, I quit and just leaves. And then like a half hour later, my dad's getting ready to go down. And this big old snake comes out. Goes in the woods, never seen again. So we moved the house. The whole time we had this house, little weird stuff was happening. You know, random footsteps upstairs. Like literally, I heard footsteps one time. Uh, Nick's dad, like I said, you know, SWAT, military police. I call him to tell me somebody upstairs. I'm too scared to move because nobody's home. It's just me. And I literally heard walk, 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 walk. And he comes in. He's like, go sit in my car. I'll come out in a minute. I went, sat in his car and he's in there for probably like half hour. He did a full sweep of the house, every nook and cranny. Couldn't find nobody. He's like, I want to take you to your grandma's and you know, you're just going to stay there tonight and I'm going to go get your dad and we're going to go through this again. That was nothing ever, never happens. And we started having more footsteps and stuff. You get, nobody's there. And we had people that watch the house and we like, you know, ignore the footsteps. 
when my mom got sick, stuff started ramping up. Uh, my brother, like I said, Luke, his name's Luke. Hi, Luke. Um, has Hi, Luke. Muscular dystrophy. So at this point, he's, you know, I'm, I'm 17, so he's 15. He's had multiple surgeries. He's been, he, his legs have been through like the chop shop. He's the toughest kid, toughest man I've ever known. He just went through it the whole time. Never once complained, never once did nothing. So he comes into my room late one night. This is after the Bigfoot stuff ended. And he's like, hey, can I sleep in here tonight? And I'm like, no, you can't. You can't sleep in my bed. It's like, oh, can I sleep on the floor? And he's not the kid to ask for anybody to anything, yeah. let alone, you know, I'm 17, he's 15, to come sleep in my bed because he's scared at night. And I'm like, I guess so. At the foot of my bed, I kind of forgot. I had Fluffy, my big python, the only snake I ever had, but my mom would, uh, my mom would take out and feed because it was a softy. Lizards, fish, all kinds of stuff. And so Luke goes and lays down like away from my bed. My room's kind of like L-shaped, so I'm, the bed's on one end of the L, he's on the other end. I sleep facing towards the wall. Uh, somebody recently told me because I said I was like ready to be killed, I guess. I don't know. It's, it's easy for a serial killer to stab you in the back. But I sleep face the wall. And then he gets up and he pokes me in the shoulder. I'm like, Luke, quit it. About five minutes past, pokes me in the shoulder again. I'm like, Luke, stop it. My job, both my parents worked at this point. I had to get everybody ready for school in the morning and get everybody to school. And I'm just like, Luke, yeah, I got, I got to sleep. I have RC singers in the morning, you know, blah, blah, blah. Pokes me again. I'm like, Luke, seriously, quit it. I'm getting real, real mad at this point. The last time, you ever had your mom pinch your shoulder, like that crab pinch? Yeah. He does that, and it hurts like hell. And I turn around to yell at him. He's asleep on the floor. And this black, blacker than black figure is just standing over top of me, leaning over top of me. And it's, I don't, it doesn't have eyes or anything, but I can feel it just staring at me. And then it slowly rises up like it's standing up. And it backs away. And it just melts into the corner, goes downstairs. It looks like it's like walking, or not walking, but going downstairs. I hop up. I'm freaking out. You know, I get Luke. I, Luke has never told me. He won't talk about it, but I think he's seen it before. Uh, he came to the room that night. I tell dad. Dad doesn't even ask a question. He's like, grab your siblings. We're going to your grandma's. Because uh, at this point, we're getting ready to move. Don't forget the snake, though. You're fluffy. Oh my gosh, I forgot. I'm sorry. So when the thing was standing there, the snake was going nuts. Fluffy, the lizards are going nuts. The fish are going nuts. Fluffy is slamming her head into the glass so hard, she broke every tooth in her head. What? She had to go to the vet. The snake, because it's dangerous for them to break their teeth, because they're like, they're not like us. So this thing is just slamming its head, striking at it. Uh, Fluffy's just a mess. Blood and everywhere. And it, so that did happen. Thank you, Jay. I forgot that part. So it's, and this is a snake that had no aggression, never bit anybody. I uh, ate only frozen food, like thawed, so it never killed anything ever. So it was completely like undoc- you know, undocumented behavior. So I could tell dad, he gets us up, we never talk about it. Next day, we have a lady in our town named Carol Slane, very religious figure in our church, and our pastor comes out. We all pray over the house, Carol prays, and she's like, Bill, there's evil here, and there's a lot of it. And dad's like, okay. And I'm the only kid allowed to be here because I'm the oldest, you know, oldest in the the, the, of the kids and she touches one of the spots of the old wall she's like Bill you need to open up this wall right here and it's like 
doesn't question, goes, gets a hammer, opens up this wall, pulls out about a two-foot knife with a smiling serpent for its handle. It's just disgusting. And she kept praying over the house. Every time she'd touch it, a spot on the wall, they'd find a coin. And I think they were, she does this all day and they didn't get them all removed. I think they were angry. They did or didn't? Didn't. Like I said, mom was super sick. So she had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Anybody that has a family member dealing with that knows it's like, you basically, it's a 50-50 chance. It's not a survival, it's not a very easily survivable cancer. So we just were done. We're done. You know, we have bigger, bigger problems. It just, it freaks me out still. But yep, this, that knife, I just remember, it's a snake with a full set of teeth, like a human. This big smile, like a cartoon, hand carved. And so the guy that bought the house was an a hole. He'd harassed my mom. Basically, the house kept getting destroyed. Like, like rooms being ripped apart, stuff like that. Makeup on the walls and stuff like that. And he kept blaming us. And he'd call my mom. My mom can't even open her eyes from the chemo. And he'd call and he'd be like, keep your kids out of here, blah, blah, blah. We know this is you doing it because you're mad. So he, he bought the house off you guys. Mm-hmm. And assumed the previous owners of the house were doing the bizarre things in the house. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. I just want to make yep. sure I was tracking. So, yeah, he just was just, and finally one day he called my mom. He's like, I got him upstairs. I got him trapped. I heard your kids walking. Tell me you're there. Cause my mom would never admit to anything because it wasn't us. She's like, tell me you're the kids right now. I'm going to go upstairs and shoot them. And mom's like, nobody we know is in that house. You do whatever you got to do. And he stayed on the phone with her and he went and did every room. Nobody's there. Mom's like, did you find anybody? Like, no. He never talked to us again and he sold it again like three months later. Wow. But another thing I did forget, I've talked so much, I've, I forgot stuff. We first moved the house. The guy that gave us the house knew nothing to this, I fully believe. His relative came, approached us. Well, of course, dad was putting wiring in the attic of the, the old part of the house we moved. And he reached into a spot. He could, you couldn't see what's there, but he's reaching into it, trying to find the wire. He pushed up through the wall. He finds all these papers and the rituals and occult things. And he showed me and Luke. And he's like, this is, you know, this is evil. And he burned them. Week later, this family member, the guy that gave us the house, is like, did you guys ever find any old family documents? We're missing some family documents. <laughs> and dad's like, nope, didn't find nothing. She's like, are you sure? Hmm. And dad's like, I'm very sure we didn't find anything. And then she leaves and dad's like, remember her because she is evil. Because she, I think she was using this house for rituals without the other guy knowing because it wasn't hers. But nobody was back there for 30 years. It's a secluded house. It was pristine. Like it was being used pretty often. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, do, all right, so with, with that ritual uh, nature of everything and her coming and asking, do you think that the act of destroying the papers alerted her that they were destroyed? Because, I mean, it, it's it's almost ironic that she would come asking right after you do that. So I don't know. I try not... My brain works w- weird, obviously. Yeah. But... I mean, no, I don't know. Like, I know, I know. D- I, different, like, different in the sense that, like, I, you, you're... I thought you were going with a scientific mind. Like, you think scientifically... Yeah. I just think 
partially, I think that she was waiting for the other guy not to be around us because he was friendly to us. He was helping us, you know. Uh, I think she was waiting for everything to die down before she came looking for things. Because as far as he knew, nothing in that house was theirs. Like everything was cleared out. There's nothing. This house was empty. Suppose you know. So I kind of just think she was waiting, given time, and then then coming to us, looking for these things. Do you think the the knife was hers then, and she put it in the wall? I think so. I think they were anchor points for that thing we seen. It was torturing us. I think uh-huh. it was a guard dog, for whatever they were doing in that house. I think all those little things were just anchors to keep it there. Because uh, when we'd pray and stuff, it would get worse. Uh, when we did anything in the house, and my mom got sick, it just loved it because that's when it got most of its power. Like that's when it got dramatic. That's when it got, you know. And we're just getting ready to move out, so we're constantly we're tearing stuff apart, we're changing stuff out. And I don't know if it was mad that we were leaving. I don't know if it was we were praying so much because mom was sick. I mean, we were pretty much praying constantly. Yeah. And I just don't know if it was so agitated with that stuff. Or if it was worried we were going to take something, I don't. I don't know. I know. It, I feel in my heart it was attached to those things, and I just it was mad at us, obviously. But then when the new guy came in and he started doing stuff, it was basically just shredding stuff in the house. Just like just a, it was monsters. So I don't know if we just got out in time, or it's you know it's apex of its behaviors, or or what. And I don't know who lives there now. Uh, I I pray for them. Because uh, you know, we told him that that stuff, and he didn't believe us. Well, uh, the chances are that he has had experiences. It's just whether how he reacts to experiences. Mm-hmm. Some people, I think, just ignore the experiences. They sell the house. They combat. They engage combat it uh, on a spiritual level. Um, so, <sighs> I find it interesting that those experiences happen in that house and those did those all those experiences happen no they they couldn't have those experiences happened before the bigfoot too right not just yeah, after yeah, yeah way before yeah but yeah. It, it was like constant throughout the entire existence yeah. of the house the whole time that old part of the house there because we still lived in that property before but we lived in the trailer and we didn't have anything weird happening in the trailer the house started real it kind of eased us into it almost it felt like just little stuff here, little stuff there. And it got, as time went on, it got more and more pronounced, more and more pronounced to, I think that last year, we didn't care about the footsteps upstairs. Cause you know, there's nobody up there. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've done this game a hundred times, went up and searched the entire upstairs. Yeah. There's no one up there. My sister's boyfriend. So she's my adopted sister. She's older than me by uh, several years. He was house sitting for us the one time. And he heard somebody come in the, in he was up in the second story. He heard somebody come in the living room and start walking around. So he thought it was Sarah, his girl, you know, my, my adopted sister. So he hides in the closet upstairs and he hears this person walk up the stairs and he hears them walk down the hall and they get right in front of the closet. And he jumps out to go, you know, boo, nobody's there. He called my mom and he did not go back. Cause he's like, I just thought it was Sarah, you know, Sarah's supposed to be home 20 minutes, you know? Yeah. And, it just that house is. Let me tell you uh, what you said about that the the former owner or that lady showing up asking about the stuff. Um, I the reason why I asked what I asked is because I so I had my experience with uh, a satanist in his home. Um, 
I told the story years ago. I think it was like episode 30 or 31. And uh, I'm at this guy's house for three hours and it, it is some seriously heavy spiritual warfare. Uh, this is before the podcast. Um, I didn't know much about anything. I still don't, but I really didn't know anything. But he, he, uh, he asked me to take, take home some satanic um, books. I think it was like two or three of them, at least two, but I'm pretty sure it was three. So I took the books out of his house and I wound up throwing them away. Uh, hindsight, I wish I would have burned them, but I wound up throwing them away. And I do believe I had uh, demonic oppression at that point in my life. I, I took, I had a passenger, I had a, I had a hitchhiker. Um, and I had seen this guy, this guy, the reason why he invited me to his house was because uh, him and I had gotten friendly at deliveries and he was sharing me his life story. And we got to the like more current time up to date timeline. And I asked him what the next chapter of his life story is. Cause we were talking about how his, his, like his life could be a movie. I mean, it was just traumatic. And I was like this, like I couldn't wait to go in there to do a delivery just to hear where we, where are we going next? You know, it was like, waiting for the next episode of a show to pop mm -hmm. out, you know? And so we get to the, to the end point and I'm like, what happens next? And he's like, I don't know. I'm probably gonna blow my brains out. And, uh, I, well, you guys last night we were hanging out and stuff. You guys kind of saw how I get sometimes on the spiritual stuff. Like I kind of get evangelistic-y, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. I don't know if that's a word evangelistic-y. It works. Uh, but you know, it's just, it's certain things trigger me and that triggered me. And I, I kind of, Told him, I was like, dude, you don't want to do that. God's got plans for your life. And when I said that, uh, his whole mood changed and he kind of looked at me and he started asking me questions like he never heard of God. And I was like, like, how is that even possible? But okay. You know, and he invites me to his house to talk more about this God stuff. I'm just like, yeah, I can do that. So that's why I went to his house. And it turns out he lured me to his house and he was a Satanist. And, uh, he's, he spent three hours putting me through hell. Um, and, after that whole ordeal was over, it wasn't until about a year later. Cause I mean, during that, again, mind you, I, back then, this is before the podcast. I'm, this is a totally different Tony. Like be, that, that was the first time I was ever introduced to satanic anything in my life ever, you know? Um, so when I was at his house, uh, he pretended to uh, become a Christian with me there. Like he asked me to pray with him and all this stuff. And mm. it's a big, long story. But, um, about a year later, I'm telling this experience because for a year I'm facing this weird feeling. Like I just felt like, like God wasn't speaking to me anymore. I felt this gap growing. And, um, I, I felt like I just felt off, you know? And it all kind of started around that time. And so I'm telling my, my, my friend on my lunch break, I'm in my truck and I'm eating lunch and talking to him about this whole experience. And it just like, it all clicked in my head at that moment. Cause up to that point I was like, he accepted Christ, like, but he never showed up the church. And like, I just don't understand what that whole thing was about. And then it just all clicked in my head. I was like, hold on a second. He, he tricked me. Like it just clicked. Like I was like, why would somebody want to trick me? Right. I was like, he tricked me and he lured me to his house and he was, he was trying to do some kind of weird, crazy stuff to me. And later on doing the podcast, talking with people, I, I've come to understand that 
the three hugs he gave me, he was trying to transfer demonic entities to me. And I think they sunk their teeth into me pretty hard that day. Mm. And um, when I, when it, and I say all that, I give the background for new listeners. Um, but I say all that because I went through an entire year where I was still going in to do deliveries there where he worked and I would see him and I'm talking with him and we'd be talking and stuff. And he just kept on kicking the idea of coming out to church down the road. And he's like, oh, you know, and then he's like, oh, it's, I don't know if this is for me and all that stuff. Like, I was like, what do you mean if you don't know if it's for you? Like, <laughs> you didn't even give it a chance. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but I was trying to be graceful and all that. Um, and then a year later, it all clicks in my head and I'm like, hold on a second. This dude was nefarious. And it all just started kicking, clicking in my head. So at that point, I'm still going in there to do these deliveries. From the time that I met him to the time that I made that connection, I've been into that business tons of times and every time he was my receiver or if I was picking up freight at the end of the day he was the one shipping the freight putting it on my truck he was the one that did it all shipping and receiving Mm -hmm. I went there tons of times after I connected those dots and not one time was he around Hmm. every time I went in to to, to do a delivery or to pick up freight Jay was somewhere else and I asked him like where's Jay at and they're like oh he's Around, where is Jay? Oh, he's down at the other end of the building. And then the last time it was, oh, he transferred. He went into a different department. And he's wow. not. He's no longer doing. And I and I personally firmly believe that whatever happened, and I don't understand the nuance of everything. And I personally don't really care to understand. Um, but I personally believe that he had some kind of spiritual connection to me. And when I made that connection, he knew that I knew. And because he had some kind of connection to me, he also knew I was pissed. Yeah. I was so angry. <laughs> yeah. Every time I went in there, I was like, where's Jay? Where's Jay? <laughs> Where, hey, yeah, buddy. Talk to him. You know where Jay's at? I'm talking real high, trying to keep my cool, you know, because <laughs> I was mad. I was really, really mad. Um, and, uh, and I think he knew that. And I think he was avoiding me. Mm-hmm. And so I bring that whole thing up because of the way that whole story played out for you. I do wonder if there was some kind of spiritual connection to the things that were in that house and she knew they were touched. She knew that they were moved. She knew they were found or destroyed and she came out at that moment. I don't know. I can believe it either way. I, I don't know. I, I look a lot of it like coincidence, but not, it, there's too much stuff that happens in life for it to be coincidence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I can believe it either way that she either just waited for it to cool down or she, she was attached to whatever was in that house. I f- firmly believe that. Yeah. I still see her. She's an evil lady. You still see her? Yeah. Where? In our town. Oh, just about. Yeah. Out and And she refuses to die. <laughs> How old is she? Old. Really? Probably 1700s. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, she is a very elderly lady, but she's like... She's a very weird person because she pretends like she's very old. She pretends the old lady bit, mm-hmm. you know, and then you see her do stuff by herself fine when nobody's watching. She thinks nobody's watching. Yeah. She definitely, she's just not a, no matter what, she's not a nice person to be around. That makes you wonder if like, she's like some kind of like hardcore witch that is like a couple hundred years old and she's like, oh, I'm such an old lady yeah. playing it up, you know? But in reality, she's like, oh, I'm fine, dude. Like, I'm good. <laughs> Nothing's impossible. Drinking that baby blood or something. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, wow. 
incredible stuff. Um, listen, may I ask you a question? Uh, the 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 mushroom UFO stuff. Yeah. Did you cover that on Joel's show? Did we? I can't. I'm trying to remember. Because Joel brought it to my attention. I don't. No, I think, think we just so. talked to Joel like outside outside of, of it. Where where have you talked about it anywhere yet? On our show. On That's your show. Much it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know what episode that is? Yeah, it's not off the. T- I don't. I know the, the number, name of but it. It's the fungus among us. The fungus among us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you don't know what the the episode number is or season. Ch- it's season two, episode something. Yeah, it's somewhere in the beginning of season two. Um, we're a very young podcast, but we, <laughs> yeah, and we, that was our first kind of intro because Justin came up with the idea like, just out of spontaneity. Oh my gosh. And he starts starts texting me. I keep screaming in the phone. He, he's They're all mushrooms. First, first he texts me mushrooms, mushrooms, and I don't know what's going on. I'm at work. <laughs> and then I get a phone call from him and he's just saying they're all mushrooms and I don't know what he's talking about. So he's like, we got to do an episode. I got this. I, I, I came across something. I figured something out. So that's when we came across this. Or we started this idea. You started this idea. I, I'm and, very spontaneous with like outburst. So I'm literally sitting at work. Like, like I said, I work at a hospital now. I'm in a kitchen by myself. I just cook for the patients. So I don't <laughs> see anybody like 90% of my shift. Yeah. So I'm listening to stuff and I'm like, oh, why would they be interested in that? They're all mushrooms. And I just started screaming. You start screaming. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm by myself. I got head, you know, headphones in. And it seems like an idea that we keep exploring like further and further. It's, uh, it's we got relates more, to a lot of stuff. Yeah. Just more and more. It's, it's interesting. So, so why don't we do this? Because I want people to go listen to it. But I, I had a sense that it was a big, long mm-hmm. thing. And the fact that you spent an entire episode on it, I'm looking for it right now. So while I'm looking for it, could you give a thousand foot overview overview of this? Like, let's just call it a theory of what you have. Yeah. And so, then I'll try to find it here. And, and if I can't find it here, just to let the audience know, just look in the show notes because by the time this thing airs, uh, I will have found it and I'll put it in the show notes and you can click on the link and it'll redirect you. Yeah. So the basically the, the overview of it is we started looking in the upper atmosphere. I, be, I believe a lot of, not a lot of UFOs, but a chunk of UFOs are actually organic creatures that we are seeing bioluminescence is very crazy in the open ocean. There's things called cone jellies and stuff that they look robotic. They do not look organic. Uh, people all the time, you, I'm sure you've seen the videos. Somebody's like, look at this UFO in the bottom of the ocean. It's that black sphere that has the flashing lights on it. Mm-hmm. That's a jellyfish. Okay. So those that that's how robotic and non-organic an organic creature can look. Uh, the big premise is, is in 2019, NASA did a study with things... Hesterdendy-like things. So I used to build these things called Hesterdendies for work. They're like bug and bacteria hotels. You build them, they have food in them. They're basically, so you can collect every species in that area, like a sit it and forget it trap. Like think of it kind of like a mouse trap. And they put them in the upper atmosphere, expecting. So specifically, we we live in the troposphere, and these were in the stratosphere. So the, above commercial flights, anything like that. Uh, they were expecting to maybe find 14 species of life at all. And that's mm-hmm. life. Bacteria pretty much is all they were expecting to find. They found over 40, 000, or 4,000. And they found every major biological clade of life that doesn't have a spine. So plants, animal, or, you know, plants primitive animals, bacteria, viral, fungi are all up there. Uh, we actually just found a jellyfish cousin up there uh, that's multicellular. So we started with the idea of these giant manta ray like UFOs being seen are the open ocean whales. So the, the upper atmosphere right now is mimicking an open ocean environment. You have these planktonic like life 
thousands of species, very thick life, and it's open. So the only thing we're missing are the sharks and the whales. And I think that's what we're seeing. Some of the UFOs we're seeing are organic creatures. The fungi angle comes from the 1960s and 70s when the men in black were asking a lot of UFO abductees questions. The weird one that stuck out is they keep asking, why did you have any nitrates in the car? Why have what? Nitrates. Nitrates. So Barney Hill, specifically, I use him as an example. They asked him, did you have any nitrates in the car? And, you know, Barney Hill was a postmaster. It's like, well, what the hell's a nitrate? You know, I don't, you know, and he's like, uh, that man in black was like, uh, you know, fertilizer, hot dogs, stuff like that. And he's like, well, I did. I had 400 pounds of fertilizer in the trunk. And he's like, I don't, you know, it was kind of a weird thing because he didn't really remember why he had 400 pounds of fertilizer in the trunk. He's like, well, is it still there? Well, no, it's not. And then the man in black stopped that line of questioning, moved on to other stuff with the abduction. That happened several times. The one guy literally had a hot dog truck emptied of hot dogs in his abduction scenario. So Betty and Barney Hill, when they are abducted, they've seen a similar craft with similar entities. Vastly different experiences. Betty got shown the cabin, got shown the maps, you know, got handed a book, had a really pleasant time. Barney was borderline tortured, you know, physically and mentally. Uh, because they... If they are organic, and I think in the fungi family, that the psilocybin and stuff like that, they can, so they can leak psilocybin in their spores, they can leak psilocybin just being around them. Some mushrooms even just gas it off as a defense mechanism. So when you have a psilocybin experience, a lot of times it's your mindset is heavily determined on it. Betty went in, she loved UFOs. Her and her sister were obsessed with them. She went in and had a positive experience because she had the positive energy. Barney was a black man at a time where black people were not allowed to be anything. He was a postmaster in his town and people hated him for it. He lived a very scared, tortured life. So he was already had that feeling of people hunting him, people hurting him. So they both went into this experience, seen the same craft, the same beings, vastly different things happened. So the working thought with the fungi thing and the fungus come in many Shapes, sizes, varieties. It's not just mushrooms. That's kind of the joke we always say is they're yeah. mushrooms, but they're slime molds. Uh, we'll talk about Bob in a second. Um, Bob? Yeah. You'll love Bob. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so it seems, especially in the 60s and 70s, the U.S. government specifically knew that something was targeting these people for abduction that had a lot of nitrates on them. So fungi love nitrates. Uh, if you're an upper atmospheric creature, you don't want to take on a lot of food weight because it's harder to fly, it's harder to maintain buoyancy. Uh, so nitrates are concentrated food. So, you know, 400 pounds of fertilizers, like eating, you know, 4,000 pounds of other food. It's pre, it's like eating protein bars versus, you know, eating the, ch the chicken that's worth it. It's a lot less weight for the same nutritional value. So how are they can sense that? There's all, we, like I said, we go into it a lot, but it kept happening. And then a lot of these UFOs seem to be organic in nature. They, the way they swim through like the air, they play with our jets and stuff like that. Like the Tic Tac, that thing was, it literally reminds me the second I seen it of a dolphin playing with a steamboat. The Tic Tac does? Yeah. Because it's so much faster and smoother and elegant. Oh, so it's like playing. I see, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and this, yeah. this jet is slow and, you know, thuggish yeah. compared to it. For it's sure. like, okay. And then when I get bored, I'm gone. But the US government, the nitrate thing is just so weird. And there are mushrooms, a lot of species, a lot of fungi, love radiation. 
what are UFOs? A lot of UFOs are seen like around nuclear warheads. They're seen around power plants. They're seen going through how we did a whole episode on them going through uh, waste fields, you know, dumps, eating the nitrate rich uh, water, basically. And there's a we did a whole episode talking about that that these wow. UFOs were obsessed with dump, junkyards and these dumps. And why are they obsessed with that? It's our garbage. You know, they can find better stuff other places. If it's feeding, it's just easy food. It's melted. It's pre-digested. So you can take a whole bunch up without weighing yourself down. Wow. And like, Wow, dude. Yeah. See, <laughs> see how his brain works? Far out. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Like, all right. So I did find the episode you aired on uh, August 22nd. It's called Living UFOs, The Fungus Among Us, Season 2, Episode 13. Um, so people listening, a lot of people listen on either, uh, Androids or Apple. So, mm-hmm. uh, go to your, your app store. This is, this is, uh, cryptids of the corn podcast. That's cryptids of the corn podcast, uh, living UFOs, the fungus among us season two, episode 13. It's an hour and 10 minutes long and he goes into great depths about it. Uh, and it, listen, what I find interesting is that you, uh, for my dumb trucker podcast mind, you're a scientist, dude. And you're, you're dabbling in these fields and you, you take it serious. Uh, you're 27 years old and you talk very intelligently. Uh, you know what you're talking about. And I, I just, I, I listen, I, I really think, um, I'll, like I, I've been talking about this recently on the, on my podcast and just uh, other podcasters. Uh, we all have our own, um, niches, you know, um, mine is, I hate to say it this way because there's another podcast out there, but mine is campfire stories. You know what I mean? Uh, like, like we sit around, we, we, we share stories and it's, it's, you know, I always say that my, my goal with my show is to either entertain you, inspire you or educate you. If I hit on all three, it's like a grand slam episode. Nobody's going to touch it kind of thing, you know, but if I can hit on at least one of those three things, I feel good about what I'm doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what I do with my show. Uh, and you being this scientific mind, uh, you bring a whole different element into it. You know what I mean? Like I'm Tony, the truck driver who would drive around, listen to these bizarre stories and just so happens to be somebody who, um, well, I, I can, I can hold a conversation with pretty much anybody. And so that, that works out pretty good for podcasting, you know? Um, and just the way my mind is made up, like I don't really enter into conversations with agendas. And I think I'm finding out that's actually a pretty rare thing. Like I don't have an agenda when I go to talk to somebody. I just, let's just talk, see what happens. You know what I mean? Um, And so with you guys, uh, I think that there's a lot of people that will have enlightening moments listening to your show because uh, of being able to tie in the scientific angle of things with the paranormal in a way that you're never going to get with this show because I don't think that way. at all. So, uh, I, I think it's really cool what you guys are doing. Um, again, for people listening, cryptids of the, uh, cryptids of the corn is the podcast. And specifically what we're referring to is living UFOs, the fungus among us season two, episode 13. Um, before we wrap things up though, you tease me with it. Who's Bob? What is Bob? So Bob <laughs> is the single largest organism to ever exist. He lives out in Oregon. So big. He has a name. Yeah. Uh, Bob has an entire national park or state park on his back. What? Bob is, if you took, Bob is a mushroom. 
He's one giant mushroom. He's one mushroom. He's one mushroom. And he is, if you took all of Bob's matter and put him like within like a foot thick, he'd be 2,400 acres. But he's a lot bigger than that because he's spread out. It's called mycelia networks. Basically, everybody thinks mushrooms, the whole mushroom is that thing that pops up out of the ground. That's only the breeding body. Most of the mushrooms underground, it looks like wires or cable. That's the actual organism. And then the, the, the thing is, basically think of it as fruit. The thing you see above ground is fruit. Okay. And the rest of the tree, if you want to think of a plant, the rest of the tree is underground. Bob is a type of honeycomb mushroom. And they're known for getting large. There's a couple other organisms, or a couple other examples of his species getting pretty big. Bob is monstrous. The only reason they found out about Bob is Bob is integrated into every tree on his back. He's integrated into insects. He's basically, they're controlling stuff to help feed him. He's running an entire ecosystem to feed himself. The reason how they found out about it is they accidentally drilled into Bob and 100 acres of trees died the next day. What? Because they cut off that section to him. And like, what the hell's happening? They did DNA testing. Like, well, these mushrooms are identical, you know, you know, 200 yards away. And then it's still identical. They're still identical. They mapped him out. They roughly know his size. He may be even bigger than we imagine. Wow. And he can think faster than any computer. Basically, they, they don't have electromagnetic impulses like we do, or basically how our nerve system works. They don't have that. They have something different, but it's much more efficient. We're using them in computer chips now, mushrooms, because they can, they can transfer data a lot quicker. Bob can think, quote unquote, faster than a blue whale can. So he can transfer. That means nothing to me. What, how fast is a blue whale thing? <laughs> <laughs> They're mammals. So just like us. Okay. You know, basically, if you feel pain in your toe, how long does it take your brain yeah. to register pain and then you do something about it? A blue whale still has that same reaction time, but just a lot bigger. So it still takes longer to run the nerve system. Something bites it on the tail. It takes longer for it to get, but this nerve system's still running at the same speed. Makes sense. Bob's, it's not a nerve system. I know it's a little confusing. Bob can do it faster. And we don't understand why. And he's really old. We think roughly 40,000 years, but he's probably older. 40,000 years? What state? It's either Oregon or Washington. I'm pretty sure it's Oregon. I think it's Oregon. And there's two other honeycombs out there that are similar to Bob. Uh, there's Gerald, I think is one of them. They all got goofy names. I love it. <laughs> wow. I, so our plan, we want, I think next we want to go out and like take pictures and walk on, like walk on Bob's forest and stuff like that. So, cause like you, if you didn't know, you wouldn't know Bob is no. even there. Bob is the secret ruler wow. of that state park. And you can see his budding bodies. Like when they, so basically mushrooms use those, the, or fungi use the mushrooms to spread their spores yeah. to reproduce. So that's what you see of Bob. Uh, it's called a mycelia network. It just like imagine it all a bunch of whole bunch of cables that are mm-hmm. spread out, connecting every tree. Ninety five percent of trees on this planet are plants. Ninety five percent of plants on this planet could not complete their life cycle without some kind of fungus at some point. So, fungi have they're the oldest multicellular organism that we know about. They've been around forever. They survived every mass extinction with spades. Mm. They just rock it right through it because they don't. They're not animals. They're not plants. They're, they're vastly different. Uh, they're a little mix of both with how they react. So they have had the opportunity to evolve into amazing shapes. They are in both the Arctic and the Antarctic. They're at the bottom of the ocean and they're in the upper atmosphere that we know about. There's not an environment on this planet they haven't conquered. They literally live 
on the permafrost layer in the Arctic, and they live in the ice in the Antarctic. So that's mushrooms. Mushrooms rule the world. They're the Illuminati. They will be here after we're extinct long, long after. Wow. That's incredible. That listen, that is where we cap it. Yep. That is where we cap it. Uh this is Cryptids of the Core podcast. We got Jay and Jason here. Justin. 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 I keep doing it. I'm sorry. It's a, Eric did it to you. We'll blame Eric. Yes. It, did Eric do it to me? Yes. Yes. Because he, okay. he does it to me to pick on me. Oh, okay. That's probably what it is. Um <laughs> no, but uh and I have it on my notes here, Justin and Jay, but I don't have my notes in front of me. There we go. Justin and Jay. Uh, we have Jay and Justin, and I, I do appreciate you guys coming in. Now, what we're about to do is uh, record an episode that people, by the time they hear this, have already heard. So they're like, oh, yeah, we already knew. Like, oh, that's a good episode. Let me go listen back to that. I encourage you to hit play on that previous episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen to the archive, guys. But um, before we get out of here, what would you guys like to promote as far as how can people get a hold of you? Is there a website? Is there social media? What would so, you guys like to push? Our mm. big ones, we use Facebook and Instagram are our two really big ones. Uh, we give away stuff constantly. So we give away stuff constantly on both of those. People send us a lot of stuff to give away on the show. Uh, so there's always free stuff to be had. And we interact every Tuesday morning at nine o'clock on Facebook. We have a live show where people can just pop in, talk to us, and we talk back for an hour and kind of gets our day going before we record episodes. And it's some of our best ideas because people were like so excited to get in that. But yeah, we're on every podcast platform. Uh, we don't have a website yet, hopefully soon. And we do have Patreon. Oh yeah, the cool. Patreon. And that's Patreon. Patreon's people picked. They pick their own episodes and it works out a lot better for us because it's a lot easier. What, what's the Patreon? Like what's the website? Cryptids of the Corn. It's uh, so, so patreon.com slash Cryptids of the Corn. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. And, uh, and what, what do you guys do for the patrons? Basically, they pick their episodes, whether it's a cryptid or a spiritual thing. Or whatever they or want to talk about. We do a game show on there, and they freaking love it. Really? And it, we don't enjoy doing it as much as they enjoy listening. <laughs> but I think that's partially why they keep picking it. That's cool. That's really cool. Well, this is Cryptids of the Corn, guys. I appreciate you being here, and I highly encourage people to check you guys out. Check out that episode, The Fungus Among Us, right? Yep. See, what was it? What I say was season two, episode 13. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So check that out and then binge on the rest of their uh, archive. And per usual with this show, when we promote other podcasters, we encourage you to go to, if you're, especially if you're Apple users, go to Apple Podcast, look up their show, give them a five star rating review, show some love and then hit play. All right, friends, listen, until next week, stay safe, take care, and remember, the truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. Bye. So, so 
swift as a fair, but don't work well. I was a hand when Reagan was a cartel. Push a ball, do I rap? Do I sing? Do I preach? I don't know. Do I lack anything via love? No, I don't. But we gotta be a warrior too. Cause that's just what warriors do. Like a subway, wanna spin up with the center of the nexus, me. Yeah, yeah. 